What is up, people? Thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. we got a great show lined up for you guys today. Of course, we're really in the thick of it when it comes to the NFL playoffs. The NFL Divisional Round is this week, so we'll uh, be giving you guys our picks for those games this week. Also, the NFL coaching carousels in full swing. I think we have about five, I want to say, of the coaches, coaching uh, play uh, openings. Uh, being filled, we had some more open up uh, be filled today, and some uh, controversial hirings in some instances. So we'll break those down. And of course, we had the college football national championship game earlier in the week. So we'll start off the show discussing that. And we have a special guest on today's show, and I'll introduce him in a minute. I'll first introduce you to my co-host Kendall Stewart. Kendall, what's up, dude? Uh, what are you looking forward to talking about today? Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, eating a lot of crow. Cause yeah, you gotta eat a lot of crow. Uh, you said no. you said Kyle Alabama plus twenty. I did say Alabama plus twenty, and that did not go well for you. Um, you that's like a that was like a fifty point swing see, on your on your prediction. So I, explain yourself. I'm, I'm not gonna eat that much crow because everyone picked Alabama. You know, very not everyone, but eighty percent of the country, probably not, probably closer to eighty five, picked Alabama to win. So. I mean, I'm not. I wasn't like I was way off. I mean, I was way off. Yeah, no, 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 no. Let's go. No, score. you were way off. But, like, <laughs> how they lose isn't, isn't that relevant. No, nah, but you, you, yo, but no, nah, but the you result, were. I was wrong. Yeah, but you were like you were disrespectful of Clemson. I was, and how they had no chance. I was, and how me saying that you know I thought it could be a ten point game was outrageous. You, you were, you were disrespectful. You gotta eat this crow. You can't be hedging your bets now. Like, oh, actually, everyone else picked out. A, a lot of people were wrong. That's all I'll say. And you were maybe as wrong as anyone. To the people that picked Clemson. <laughs> if you picked Clemson, you did a great job. I don't think it's anyone on this show because uh, I did not pick Clemson. But I love how you've like tried to like you've moved off of your your crazy pick to just talk about how you really weren't that off, even when you, even though you were. Look, man, congrats to the people that picked Clemson. <laughs> Those people, they were they were right. All right. Uh, let me let me bring in our, our guests on, on the first half of today's show. Since this is a big football show, I had to bring in uh, the guy that, I, that, to me, I know closest and knows the most about football. I'm bringing in my good friend Rob DeRay, football draft guru, contributor to the hub, uh, news.news. Rob, what's up, dude? How you, how you, how you, how you, how you doing, man? What's going on, EJ? What's up, Kendall? Sorry that uh, you had to eat crow there. Yes. It didn't taste very good, as you can tell. <laughs> he barely ate it. He, he, he mentioned all, it out. I know I was wrong, <laughs> but everyone else was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in my mouth and spit it out. <laughs> he, yeah, really, he, tried to, he tried to get out of it. That's okay. Oh, man. But I'm happy to have you on, uh, Rob. Any, anything Thanks in particular you're me. looking forward to talking about today? Football. What are we talking about? We got we got games this weekend. We had games this past weekend. The coaching carousel. I, I I find myself just kind of more focused on that than anything. But yeah, we'll get to all of it. Yeah, I don't know why. For some reason, I think honestly, it's because the candidates. We'll talk about the carousel in a minute. But just quickly, I feel like the candidates are so bad that I think this carousel is most interesting. Right. So I'm seeing the names that are getting hired. I'm like. What? And then all these guys have interviewed for, like, the same jobs. Yeah, like, which kind of happens every year. But, like, I think the fact that all of them are all kind of, like, not great candidates, right. it even makes it more, like, wow, they really pulled the trigger on that guy. Agreed. Um, and and you said there's five 
uh, five jobs filled. I th- I'm pretty sure it's six. It's not six. Now the Jets were the six. Right, it's Jets were the six. Jets were the six. So and we will, we'll get to that. Bengals and who else? The Bengals and Dolphins. Dolphins, are left. right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure those fan bases are are, are confident the, the in, Bengals, in their in their ownership. The they'll get it right now that six guys are off the board. Yeah. Um, let's start off before we get to the coaching stuff. Let's start off with the college football national championship because, uh, like we said at the top of the show, I want to reiterate: Kendall was very, very wrong <laughs> on this pick. I was wrong too, but I did not think this was going to be a blowout for Alabama. It ended up being a blowout, but it was actually for uh, Clemson, who just completely routed uh, Alabama in a way that I, I, I heard it was the worst loss that Saban has had as a head coach uh, since, I think, 2001 against Steve Spurrier's Florida Gators. So if you want to talk about... 44-16, right? Yeah. So if you want to talk about, like, uh, like you know, the precedence for this, it's pretty much a precedent for Nick Saban team to get beat like this, especially within the last 15, 20 years. Um, what can I say? I mean, uh, Trevor Lawrence, I think a lot of the, the country was introduced to this young man. If you pay attention to high school recruiting, if you paid it, even pay attention to this college football season, you should have known this dude was the truth. But I think a lot of people didn't expect him to shred Alabama's defense the way he did. Uh, I think a lot of people didn't expect Clemson's receivers to, um, to, to play at the high level they played against that Alabama secondary, which... To the pundits who said if there was any any chance you had to be out there, it was the fact that you had to exploit what is a young secondary. That's why it's on the show. And Clemson was able to do that a lot, <laughs> over and over and over again, pretty much, uh, to get into this win. I'm going to give it to Rob DeRay first. My impression from this game was not only, Rob, that Lawrence was spectacular and the receivers for uh, for Clemson was just un- were unreal. I thought Saban coached. Maybe the worst game I've ever seen him coach. Um, the play calling was bizarre. He admitted at halftime his team wasn't prepared, and he blamed it on the Clemson doing copycat stuff. He just looked uncomfortable from the kickoff, and that's not what I'm accustomed to seeing from a Nick Saban team. Nothing to disagree with there. I think that if, if we really think about it, uh, Nick Saban doesn't really have a lot of great moments and close games. Um, it's not the first time we've seen him something weird happen with the special teams late in the game true. when he had that uh, that fake kick, which was just bewildering being that it's Clemson's defense and you needed six yards and your kicker's playing fullback. But <laughs> it's just kind of – it's very surprising to see the, the game plan be so off and have it like, – everything go so wrong so fast, but – I don't think it's that that necessarily surprising that he kind of couldn't right the ship. Whenever you see Alabama lose, almost always things go wrong and they kind of just steamroll that way. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of probably the the Auburn kick six is the only time where, it, but even that, just they, it, he just gets on a, on a wrong path and he can he doesn't right the ship. Mm-hmm. Let's not take anything away from Nick Saban or say that he's less than the best college coach in the nation. Uh, but he went up against probably now that Urban Meyer's retired, the second best college coach in the nation, and not a lot of room for error there. Yeah, Kendall, I think that that's a good point about uh, that Rob made about Saban's history because I, I I started trying to in my head go through 
the losses that he's had. There aren't that many, so it's not that hard to kind of pick him up. So I thought about the kick six. Okay, that's a close game. But I, to be honest, I think that was also terrible coaching because I couldn't believe that he kicked a field goal with a guy who couldn't make field goals, and they, there's a guy back there. I, and we watched that game live, and you remember me saying he should not kick this field goal. Yeah. They could run it back. And they did, and I'm like, he, he kicked a 55-yard field goal with a 20-year-old. Like, that was ridiculous. Just go to overtime. Um, so that, I thought, was a terrible decision. But then I thought about the Johnny Manziel game. Perfect example of things didn't go well. The doors got blown off. Um, I thought about Tim Tebow early. Or the first time they played Tebow in the SC Championship game, first half strong. Tebow started to get a rhythm. They couldn't stop him. Yeah. There is very little moments. There, there aren't that many moments. Um, I thought about the first game against LSU. Offense couldn't couldn't muster anything. Uh, muster anything against LSU's defense. The defense played well, but the offense couldn't right the ship in that game, and things fell apart, and they lost that game. What? Now, if he sees you twice, like he got against LSU, he can get you. Or with Tebow in the next year, he can get you. But if or Clemson, or Clemson, lost. yeah, saw him again the next yeah, year. Yeah, and Clemson last year. But the whole in-game adjustment thing, I agree with Rob. Saban has that's maybe a weak spot for him, and, and it was definitely a weak spot in this game. He looked frustrated because he did not know how to stop these guys. Yeah, what's interesting about what Rob said also was even beyond the losses, because the fact that we can, off the top of our head, name. Like, like five losses, losses, like five losses Alabama. in the last like ten years. Like shows you he's an amazing coach. But what's even more poignant is like he's not known for when. When have we said Nick Saban won this game with his coaching, making a decision that he had to make, and like that won them the game? Now, obviously, they won a lot of games, so it's hard right. to pinpoint every game. But most of the time, they win by they win by right. ten plus points. You know, very and they've won close games, but. Very rarely, but you know what? The last time we said that, and the only time last I remember year. saying that was last year last when he year. went to Tua in a spot where some coaches like Kirby Smart would not have went to Tua, and he would have stuck with his own guy. To be honest, most of the time you you look at him and you say the game is won before they get on the field because his team is well so well prepared, right? And that yeah, that also goes to Nick Saban's coaching ability, right. but rarely is it an in-game adjustment that he makes or a call that he makes that wins them the game. Um, whereas other coaches. Uh, like a Les Miles has been, you see Urban yeah, Meyer, Urban Meyer, Miles. guys make calls yeah. that like, and also Saban's more of a CEO type of coach anyway. You know, it's not like he's like making, he's not drawing up the plays or, uh, you know, he's not in communication Calling with the his signals, quarterback. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, um, and honestly, I think that's what hurt them in this game. You know, Alabama's their their offensive coordinator, Mike Loxley, is going to be the coach of Maryland. Uh, he's known for being a tremendous recruiter. He's the, one of the best recruiters in the country. And Alabama last year, EJ, this is before Mike Lossie got there. I forgot who their OC was last year. I believe it was, uh, was it Brian Dayball? I don't know. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that dude, he ended up going somewhere. But regardless, he, he uh, left a lot to be desired as well. But um, Mike Loxley was, uh, Alabama, matter of fact, they had the number five recruiting class in the country last year according to, I believe, 247 Sports. That was the lowest they had been since Saban had gotten there. Every other year, they were number one in the country in recruiting. Last year, they were number five. So Saban said, you know what? We have to go out. We have to get Mike Loxley. (laughs) Number five, that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. (laughs) You know, clearly something's going wrong. So he made Mike Loxley the OC, also made Tosh Lupoy, who's also known as a tremendous recruiter, his defensive coordinator, and... What those guys aren't known for are X's and O's. Right. And look, 
You know what they got this year, EJ? The number one recruiting class in the country. So it worked <laughs> in some regard. And look, Saban thought he could mess around, have some yahoos as OC in D.C., and it would work. And it worked for most of the year, but we saw schematically they were not the same that they had been in years past with guys like Lane Kiffin and Kirby Smart. Yep. Those guys, also great recruiters, but those guys also excellent guys when it comes to X's and O's. Um, Steve Sarkeesian, another great X's and O's guy. So those those kind of factors did not help Alabama. Um, on that kick, on that, and not on that fake kick that they uh, that they screwed up after the game, Saban said, "Yeah, you know, uh, it was a miscommunication. Um, yeah. You know, we had one guy didn't make a block." I was like, "Get out of here!" One guy didn't make a one guy made a yeah, block. Your, your kicker couldn't block. Uh, couldn't couldn't block. Uh, what's the name? Christian Wilkins. Christian Wilkins. Oh my gosh! But like, what a what a what a mishap there. But even beyond that, like there were like five guys waiting for the <laughs> waiting for the the holder. Uh, like, yo, there, one, there were like four or five blocks that weren't made. Yo, that was a straight Madden moment where you're like you you're playing Madden. And you see, like, you're playing as a guy who you know loves the fake kick. So you put out your, your safe defense, yeah. waiting for the fake kick. You and the guy's the guy, like, I'm, I'm ready for it. <laughs> and the guy's like, I'm just going to do it. I don't care. Let's see if it works. <laughs> and that's what Saban did in a national championship game. They, were, they had, like, five guys deep, like, ready to, like, at the, at the first And I'm down. sorry, I can't, Rob, I can't understand how you could have the athletes that Alabama has and your your play on the fourth down is to run with the punter or whoever the hell the holder is. Like uh, that's a, I, I, that's that's outrageous. Look, they have three incredible running backs. They have maybe the best quarterback in the country. They got uh they got maybe the best receiver two, in the country. Yeah, two Judy is a complete stud. None of those guys touch the ball on fourth down. The biggest play the of the game. I I always hate that. I'm still critical of USC against Texas when they took Reggie Bush off the field for that fourth and Lindell, one to seal Lindell the game. White play, yeah. And they had Lendell White. Like, it's not even like they went from, you know, Reggie Bush to, like, a punter. <laughs> they, they went to Lendell White. I'm still like, yeah, you have the best college football player in the country. You has to be on the field on fourth down. You could only imagine, I feel similarly, when we're talking about the uh, the kicker and the punter for – for Alabama with their great history of you know, kickers coming through. Exactly. Like, literally, like, the worst players on the roster. Yeah, they're always, you know? they're always terrible. <laughs> they always stink. So literally, always we're going we're to put, put the game on the line with the two worst players on our roster as opposed to a Heisman Trophy candidate. Um, <laughs> what I will say is, look, on the Clemson side, uh, obviously we want to talk about Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Um, I, Justin Ross was amazing. Oh, you know, my that God. Kid Justin has to be Ross about. I mean, so so much of that South Florida talent I'm watching on that field and thinking, like, what the U could be. Like, the, those guys playing last night, it, 15 years ago, they'd all be on the U. Yeah. It's, like, and crazy to watch a guy like uh, like, like, like Justin go out there and yeah, play the way he did. And Judy played. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's a different time. <laughs> but, yeah, that kid, obviously, I mean, he'll be, he'll be playing on Sundays. What I will say about Lawrence, amazing talent. That kid is nice. I do want people to pump the brakes a little bit on the number one pick, you know, talk on the, if he can't, like, if he came out now, he probably would be the number one pick in the draft, just based off the height and the way things have worked, but two years is a lot of time for things to, for things to happen. So, like, if you told me, like, am I taking Lawrence or the field to be the number one pick in the draft in 2020, I'd probably still take the field, only because I can't, 
I mean, we were remember when Christian Hackenberg was. Yeah. I was about to say. I was pick. about to say. This sounds like the take of somebody who's a big Christian Hackenberg fan. Yeah, exactly. I loved Christian Hackenberg. I was like, yo, Christian. I remember. Hackenberg. I was like, yo, this kid, man, he's definitely going to be the number one pick in the draft, and he fell apart. Yeah. So I'm going to slow down on Trevor Lawrence a little bit. There are a lot of good players out there that will emerge. I mean, I even think about Jake Locker. I think about even a Sam Darnold. Yes. Like, and those guys, it was one, those guys, it was one year. Yeah, <laughs> like it was one year with Locker and 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 what's the name? Where they're like, oh, they guys are the number one pick. Like yeah. whenever they leave, and that did not happen. I mean, in case Darnold went took, took a few spots, but that's still a big deal. Uh, I I don't know. I think I get it only because I think, uh, and now it's it's very much like I'm saying this now, and it may look different three two years from now. But to me, he's he's clearly better than all those other guys, though. Like. Yes, um, Hackenberg had similar had a similar profile coming out of co- high school, like right. prodigy, number one potential Pro-type guy, prototype quarterback. But to me, I mean, if I, I watch Chris Hackenberg as a freshman, and now I watch this kid, I mean, this kid is way more advanced. Yeah, and that could just be just years by coaching's better, like whatever the situation. He's more advanced than Hackenberg was as a freshman, and, and, and he's more advanced than even Darnold to me was in year two. Or um or uh or Locker ever was yeah, I, Locker as a senior I, yeah, he wasn't Locker as good in the as NFL kid. was not nearly so that's the only that. reason why I say I get it and like I would probably put my bets that he would be the number one pick but who knows like to me if he's not the number one pick I don't think it would be because of anything he necessarily did it might be some other guy uh, I know you love Justin Fields yes. someone who comes out of the comes out of the woodworks I'm and not all saying he won't be a top five pick won't be a first round pick that I would be willing to bet but like also. Quarterback such a, and sports in general are, is such a mental game. And a lot of that's why Christian Hackenberg fell apart. Some of it was, you know, he yeah. didn't have Allen Robinson. And he had a worse offensive line, of course. But also, I think his confidence was shot. His Absolutely. confidence now is completely shot. Yeah. I'm not I saying it's going to happen to Lawrence, but it's a mental game. It ain't going to happen as long as uh, Justin Ross and T. Yeah, Higgins don't guys out there playing, playing wide. He's going to be fine. What do you say, Rob? Yeah. I think the difference with Trevor Lawrence and a lot of those guys you mentioned, you know, Donald was a four-star recruit. Right. Jake Locker wasn't the higher. Trevor Lawrence, not only was he the number one quarterback in his class, he was the number one recruit in his class and probably had the most hype of any quarterback I've seen as a high school recruit since Terrell, Terrell Pryor was making his choice. So uh, I, th- I think that would be – that would give him the edge on terms of people hyping him up because it's, it's, he was hyped up at the end of his uh, senior season in high school. Him and Justin Fields were one and two in that class. Yeah. And uh, and Lawrence kind of had the steady number one over Justin Fields by the end of it on uh, nine out of ten you know, recruit uh, scouting websites. Yeah. So that's 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 like that's important. Um, it's not important, but it, I it's, mean it's important in terms of like why understand people why feel this everyone way. is right, yeah. right. Uh, it's almost like Andrew Luckish more than it is uh, Sam Darnoldish or something else. Yeah. I think that. I don't. What I don't think. What I do think is crazy. People saying that he should be allowed to leave and go to the NFL. I, I disagree with that. No, he, this guy. He, no, he he's 19 years old. The NFL. I mean, the NFL. These dudes are hardcore, man. Look, I'm and not saying you're not playing. No, 19. A 19 year old being in an NFL locker room is just. There's no way you can tell me that's conducive. None. There's nothing you're gonna learn that's gonna be helpful for you. At 19 years old. What's the difference between the NFL and the NBA? The NBA, it's only 12 guys. 
And the NBA, and look, and again, the NBA, I don't have with J.R. Smith. No, 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 I'll keep it 100. The NBA, no, the NBA doesn't have a bunch of dudes that maybe have brain damage walking around. That's fair enough, fair enough. Let's keep it 100. Like, it's a different beast. You got to be a different animal to go out there on that field on Sundays. And the dudes that go out there, those guys, more power to them. But a 19-year-old should not be in that group. Look, give these guys the right. I'm not saying everyone's going to be ready to play, I'm not saying everyone's going to be ready to deal with the NFL locker room, but some guys, Trevor Lawrence, I'm not, I look, I, again, I don't think he'd be ready to play in an NFL no game, way. <laughs> you know, next season or this season, but I would, I, I think he should have the right to be able to make that money. If someone's willing to pay it to him, pay him, and I don't, I wouldn't start him if I drafted him number one. He'd be on the bench for one or two years, but like guys like Leonard Fournette, Jadavion Clowney clearly were talented enough to play in the NFL. In my in my perfect world, Rob, I would have it to where it would be like Major League Baseball, where you could stay. In, it's not technically like Major League Baseball, but basically what happened with Kyler Murray this year in baseball, I would have in football, where like, look, if you want to draft a guy who's a freshman, you can draft him. But he he can't play until his oh, like the old uh, like the old Larry NBA Bird, day, like, Larry the Larry Bird situation. I would have it like that. And my thing is, look, that's a risk. Like you got a guy playing in college who like could break his leg, and you draft him number one, and you have no control over him. But I don't think a guy should be playing and and being in an NFL environment at that young. But I don't know what what do you what do you make on Lawrence and that's an whether thing. he should be allowed to 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 play in the NFL. Uh, whether he should be allowed to play, I really don't give these things much thought. Uh, I just I personally side with labor, so I would say that if he has the right to play, if he wants to make that decision, if I'm the Giants and I had him this year, I wouldn't bench him for two years. He'd be starting from day one, and he'd probably right, right. be fine based on the coaching you have there. But um, I, I don't have a necessarily a problem with the system as it currently stands. If I have to choose, I'm gonna side with I'm gonna side with the player if he wants to go. So you think that highly of Lawrence though that if he played next year, he would be pretty good for a rookie. I I don't think it's that hard to play quarterback in the NFL as a rookie. Wow, <laughs> he, he does seem very advanced. I don't know. I, I, mean, I don't think I, I don't think it's it's that tremendously tough as as people make it seem. It, it depends the quarterback on quarterback position. The players definitely, you have if you put if you put him on uh, if you put him on the Chiefs and just took him over from Mahomes, you, you'd get a, you'd get a really nice season out of him. If, if that was the if it was a one for one switch, just because of the. Scenario that he'd be in. I think that I, I, the reason why I hesitate to feel that way is because I just I do kind of understand the sentiment because I talk about it all the time on this show that high school quarterbacks are so much more advanced than they were even like five years I mean, ago. We're watching the elite. It's insane. Like I remember growing up watching college football. Is if and you put a true you put a a true freshman and a quarterback, it was like having a running back at quarterback. Like, it was just yeah. like, good luck throwing the ball. Like, you can't even, you won't even be able to throw the ball with a true qu- freshman quarterback. That's how hard it was. And a lot of it, I think a lot of it is also the, the offensive scheming is so much better now. And then the rules. The rules don't allow the defense to beat the crap out of the receiver off the line of scrimmage. And the NFL offenses think that are starting to blend into what they, what, what college, colleges are. Which we'll talk about with so like So, there are, there are ways in which I can understand a younger guy coming in, but I just think the speed of the game still in the NFL, I think, would still make it difficult a for a guy to go from, from high, high school, school, then play one year of college, and then play. He made it seemlessly from relatively well high in the NFL. College. 
Right, I but I that, think that jump is I, bigger when you get to you get to the NFL. I think that the the bigger issue is probably the locker room stuff, like you were talking about. I think that the NBA probably is an easier adjustment. Uh, you have 82 games. If you stink in 40 of them, you know it's not the end of your life. Like if you go up to the NFL as a, especially as a quarterback, and you stink in four games, uh, they they write you off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and think about so, it: like 40 games is half the NBA season. If you stink right. in eight games in the NFL, like oh man. You're done. Yeah, you're you're done. Like your career is over. Jamarcus Russell, he was stunk in like eight games. We were like, he can't play ever. Get this guy off the field. You know, thank God Sam Darnold turned it around at the end of the year. But Josh Rosen, his coach got fired because Josh Rosen stunk. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like, oh my God, we we have to turn him around fast. It that's like the part that uh, the three years in college makes sense. But I don't think that Trevor, if Trevor Lawrence gets into the NFL this year as opposed to uh, two years from now, I think the learning curve is, is basically the same. If even he gets Josh in Rosen. now, it would take a year, year and a half for him to get settled. If he went in, even when he goes in three years, it'll probably still take him about the same amount of time to get settled, depending on how you know, he adjusts to that. Even like Josh Rosen was a guy that, like, if he would have came out as a freshman, would have been a top ten pick probably. And that would have been ridiculous. He would look crazy. He would look crazy. Yeah, man. I mean, he looked crazy out there this year. <laughs> I mean, now that's to be three, fair, that's been three or four years playing. To be fair, Josh Rosen, like we got more film on him, we realized he's not the number one pick in the draft. Like he may not be what he was. Right. Hyped up you actually watch him play as you a know, person. like Jimmy Clausen. Like some guys, like you know, they come in with high school hype and they don't look as good. You know. As their college careers yeah. progress, Lawrence but, lived up to every yeah, bit of hype that amazing. you had for him. Right, um, he's better than Josh Rosen was as a freshman. Um, but I, that that's where like Rosen, man. I mean, he's I was wrong on that guy too. Uh, that's all I'll say. Yeah, you were wrong, but I, I mean, he's a young guy though. He's a he's a young guy. He could maybe turn it around. Week seventeen, Charles Davis saying he look. It, he showed great signs. He he got up when he got hit. He didn't stay down. <laughs> He's yeah. had a great year. Like, I'll tell you what, man. What? Shout out to Charles Davis because he is one of my favorite NFL analysts week to week. We're like, setting the bar that he low? He was setting the bar low for Rosen in that week 17. He game. showed me toughness this year. He, he like, got up every time. You know time. what? He, he didn't stay down. He didn't get hurt. He, when he got benched, he wanted to go back in the game. <laughs> like, oh, wow. The, the Cardinals are in great shape. The quarterback wanted to go back in the game after being benched. Uh, but that, that's a great segue to the coaching carousel. So um, I think the best way to do it is kind of I, I really want to focus on the guys that were were hired within the last day or or today even. I'm gonna start with the most recent one being the Jets with Adam Gates. Of course, I'm the resident Jets fan on the show, and it is New York City, so I feel fine with this being the first culture hire we dissect. I said it on Twitter. I tried to give myself some time to think about it some more, and I'm gonna repeat what I said on Twitter. Kendall, I don't know if I've ever been this uninspired by a Jets coaching hire since Al Groh. I was nine years old when the Jets hired Al, Al Groh. I, to me, Adam Gase... I, look, I think that there is... And we talked about it last week. There is a benefit to the idea that a guy could go somewhere with who has a talent, who has experience, fail... And maybe in his second job, be, have a much better situation because he's learned from his mistakes. When I read more about Adam Gates and why didn't, things didn't work in Miami, he becomes even more problematic for me as a candidate. Because it seems to me that one of his biggest issues 
was that he he did not really want to take any advice from anyone. Uh, when he did things that were odd, like bringing in a Julius Thomas at his age, um, or signing a Frank Gore and playing him as much as he did, he seemed to be he seemed to, he seemed not to care when other people said, "Yo, this might not be the right decision." Uh, I saw one Twitter account today. I'm sorry for the dude who may have said it. I would love to shout him out. But he said, I can't wait for Adam Gase to start some 33-year-old tight end over Chris Herndon next year. Like, I, I have real concerns about whether or not this is a guy who has learned from what were two terrible years the way he coached the Miami Dolphins, the way he really ran that team. Because Ross gave him the legway to kind of build the team as he wanted it. And for a guy who we look think of a, a young guy, you think maybe he wants exciting young talent, he built the team in a way that – to the point where now, two years from now, they got to start from scratch. So, I don't know if the conversations he's had with um, McCagnan and Johnson make me think that maybe he will be giving up some of that idea. But he sounds like a guy that's very stubborn. His offenses in Miami weren't that good. His one year with the Bears, the offense wasn't that good. He had Peyton Manning for four years, and Peyton Manning is Peyton Manning. So, I feel like the, the, the track record I've seen from Gase doesn't suggest great NFL head coach. I could be totally wrong. Um, I said it again also on Twitter yesterday. I think that coaching hires has become an inexact science where it's really kind of hard to say who could be a good NFL coach now because the game, I think, is changing so drastically. I think what we're seeing, Kendall, in and Rob, in the NBA is kind of what's also now happening in the NFL where, like, you're having these NBA coaches who get hired and, like, Finding the right guy becomes kind of this weird thing because the game is so rapidly changing where I think teams finally are starting to catch up to who you should be kind of be hiring. Like the Bucks being smart to say, oh, no, a guy, Budenholzer, is right. Don't forget about the fact that he lost like 100 games last year. Like he His knows where the game is going. Right His philosophy works. Um, where the Knicks hiring someone like Gary Fisher to run the triangle, that does not work. Don't do that. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, But like the NBA is like, they, like the guys know who the guys are now. I think the NFL, they don't know. They just see a couple of young guys doing good things with young quarterbacks and just think, well, do we got to just get some young guy to just run a college offense? And I think they're just going for whoever looks the part. But um, but with Gase to me, Rob, I don't know if you want to jump in here. Give me something to be excited about because I, I don't sure. have any – I have nothing to be excited about with Adam Gase. All right. So first, I, I totally agree with you. And we've been talking about coaching uh, probably since – early December, late November, um, just in terms of how, how it's going, how quarterback coaches are getting promoted, you know, right up to, to the top, and uh, how that's probably problematic. You're probably taking the wrong lessons from uh, how Sean McVay and uh, even Kyle Shanahan, not that he's had success yet, and, and Matt Nagy, how they've had success, because it, it really isn't necessarily their work with quarterbacks that has brought them that success. It's other aspects of their abilities uh, that being said right about in december when kind of i heard that miami was thinking about getting rid of gase uh i immediately put him number one on my coaching list and actually the first tier of available coaches uh he was the guy that i thought and i'm not a jet fan but you know for my jet fan friends the second he got fired i sent text out gase go get him uh i thought for basically every available job uh, he was either the best or second best candidate. Uh, I think, I know you said, oh, he's got Peyton Manning. 
well, he didn't run just an offense with Peyton Manning. He was part of the offense that, you know, that's 5,500 yards and 55 touchdowns with Peyton Manning, you know, something that he didn't do his entire prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was part of the architect behind the Tebow team uh, that he ran, completely changed his offense to fit him. Uh, I have seen Gase uh, change the offense, really scheme it up to take advantage of his players as opposed to a guy like Kyle Shanahan who runs his stuff and gets players who fit his system. Uh, I think that Gase learns on the fly. I I have some reservations because he did not have a good relationship with John Elway and he did not, he was supposed to keep his job. And then last second, something happened between him and uh, Stephen Ross that he lost his job there. I thought he did a reasonably good job with Miami considering the roster talent they had, uh, especially considering not that Ryan Tannehill's any prize, but he spent a significant number of those games. He's 23 and 25 as a Miami head coach. How many of those games was he starting Brock Osweiler? Because Tannehill just wasn't available. Or he had to sign Jay Cutler right before the season, and I know that's his choice, and he could have went with Matt Moore, but I don't know that he would have been more successful. He seems like the type of guy, if I was high on him three years ago when Miami hired him, and considering what he had to deal with in Miami... I, I don't really have a tremendous reason to think among a bad group of Mike McCarthy's and whoever, whoever the Rams tight end coach is, or grabbing Dan Campbell, the tight ends coach from the Saints. Yeah. I think that Gase is the safest and probably among the top two or three most potentially innovative head coaches that was on the market. So I would be excited if I was a Jets fan. Kendall, uh, obviously two very different takes on the Adam Gase hire. Where do you stand with what the Jets did today? Um, it's interesting. You know, I understand Gase could be a good QB coach for Sam Darnold. Um, he, he, I mean, the things he did with Peyton Manning, uh, obviously Peyton Manning was a fully formed kind of product, but he was coming off an injury. Uh, and I mean, he turned Peyton Manning uh, into a more productive or more explosive quarterback than he really had ever been. And uh, I believe, like, I think it was 2013, he had like 50 plus touchdowns. But um, this is, I mean, this is a quarterback. This is a hire that um, it definitely screams we're trying to we're trying to invest in Sam Darnold, which makes sense considering you drafted him number three and you gave the assets you gave you gave up to get Sam Darnold last season. Um, I do feel like, I don't know if Adam Gase is the type of guy, I don't know if it's the right fit from a, a personality perspective. Um, you know, Adam Gase's departure from Miami was very similar. It reminded me of Jason Kidd when he left the Nets. You remember when Jason Kidd, uh, tried to form a, tried to do a coup yeah. of the organization and, you know, went to ownership and was like, you know, I want to. I want to run things or whatever. He he basically went to part ownership uh, as a coach, and they were like, "Nah, screw you." So he left and w- ended up going to Milwaukee. But he did that to get himself fired, basically. Right. And in in Miami, Adam Gates had a similar situation where he went to Stephen Ross and said he wanted more power. Stephen Ross was like, "Screw you!" You know, <laughs> you've run the team record. into the ground. <laughs> yeah, man, you have a five hundred record, and f- ended up firing him. Um, now I don't know if Adam Gates 
knew that this would be a possibility, maybe similar to Kid where he kind of was trying to maneuver his way to New York, or if he just didn't want to be in Miami anymore. I don't know what. I mean, the stuff I've seen is that, the stuff I've read on Gates was that he was surprised that he was rebuffed, essentially. He and thought that he, he and that he was surprised out. that they would go. They were gonna fire him. You know, him like he, he thought he was. Really got he thought wrong. he was safe. Um, well, he thought he was up against Mike Tannenbaum, and he didn't realize that Tannenbaum was on the outs too. Yeah, and that the you know obviously Stephen Ross has thinks very highly of Greer to be the GM there. But I think Ace was was trying to figure if I could get you know make my move to be above the pecking order with Tannenbaum, that would be his ideal situation. Right. And, but I, I, I do wonder if Gase's personality is going to clash a little bit in New York or if people are going to deal with, you know, that kind of, those kind of antics in the New York media. Um, yeah, because trust me, Miami junior. media, I love Miami media because a lot of them cover my hurricanes, but they will, they're, they're a little sleepy when it comes to the Dolphins, right. <laughs> to say the least. And I think a lot of stuff with Gase, I didn't even know until this week because just who's following them. Right. And look there they they weren't a very good team. Yeah. But like the no level the faces. level of dysfunction between Gase and the owner really started two years ago. Right. And it's been this he's way. Only been, he's only been there three years. Yeah, he's only been there three years. It started two years ago during the playoff run when he was upset that Ross was speaking about how he thought his team could make the playoffs and they were doing well and they were only five and four. And from there Gase had kind of been on a power trip and did not really respect Ross as his boss. Apparently he blew up at him one point, and somebody was like, "Yo, fam, we gotta go apologize. You cannot yell at your boss like that." Yeah. And like again, for me, that is concerning for someone who has not shown as a head coach that he can be successful. You know, and now if you he won all these games and he had a track record He's to stand by besides one playoff appearance, that's different. But then he wouldn't be available though. Fair, and that's fair, and that's where I go back to my original point that you hope to me that. That that experience of seeing what he went through now brings some of the experience he needs because I, I think as a as a, a coach in terms of just knowing where the game is going, I'm sure Gase is he's there. I think that he's probably the right kind of guy. But for someone who was given so much power so early on for doing so little, it's scary to me what the Dolphins end up looking like two years from that playoff appearance. That's very scary to me because. He was given pretty much the keys to the car, and again, they're playing a 40-year-old running back and a 40-year-old tight end out there, and these are the guys he wanted. <laughs> like these are the guys he thought could help the team, and and and, and that's that's troublesome to me. And so when I think about Gase, um, this is a Jet team that badly needs to fill out the roster with offensive talent. Well, they need defensive talent too, but uh, that, but for him, it's particularly their team that has a lot of issues the offensive line i don't know if they, they probably have like three or four guys that probably shouldn't be starting the the wide receiving core they have nobody that should be starting hernan looks good i, I want to see hernan develop um running back they have nobody that should be starting like so gates is really going to be the guy crafting this team and the last time i saw him craft a team it didn't look all that good yeah that's the thing you know like we're going to have to give him time. Some people are saying, no, don't give Gates time. Like, Gates is a veteran coach. He's been in the AFC East now for three, four years. Him and McCagnin are on the same clock. I feel like that's a little that's a little much. You know, people are saying. Well, look, Gates was fired 
by Miami because Miami decided a rebuilding, and he was not did not want to be part of a rebuild. Right. He wanted a bridge quarterback to then draft somebody that he could then develop for the next year. Yeah. Miami's like, we're not having that dude. Like, we're starting over. Yeah, they got get out. Tank for Tua. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're they're the Jets. Look, if you're hiring Gase, what you can't do is then fire him in two years or fire him in a year. You have to if you're gonna hire this. This was a very I, I agree integral yeah. hire this early in Sam Darnold's career because what you can't have is Darnold having three coaches in four years. If there's one thing, Rob, that I think while I have a lot of other issues with Gase that I've laid out very clearly. The one thing I kept saying, though, about this hire was that this is the guy that's going to be the, the most influential figure in Darnold's most formative years. The one thing, and maybe this is all that matters, is that I can say confidently that I, I, I'm okay with that if that's Adam Gase. I don't know what that means for the Jets as a franchise or as a team, but in terms of just one player who is the most important player the Jets have had maybe in 30, 40 years, that if that's what I get from that, and maybe I shouldn't complain, you know? I can see that. Uh, Sam Darnold had his ups and downs this year. I think it's probably good that you have a coach as long as he stays in line and he's not on a power trip. He's the kind of guy designing offense to fit Sam's skills rather than trying to stick Sam into some NFLized version of like the Cliff Kingsbury offense. Yeah, which is what I expect to happen in Arizona. Right. Which we, which we can. Uh pretty much get to right now um and again and anywhere any any per any way to get jeremy bates away from sam darnold um i am for so what's the grade that does happen what's the grade we're giving c plus c plus not failing because like he's had some success he is a good offensive coach but as a head coach i, I have no idea in terms of how good he is i'll go, no, b-, he is not I'll go b minus given what the rest of the hires i've seen it's not I think I've seen worse, and there are <laughs> You've definitely seen worse. And some of the names that you know have been thrown out there certainly worse. Um, so I, I can't be that upset uh, about uh, Adam Gase, but it's not super uh, exciting. So I'll give it B minus, B B minus. What about you, Rob? If we're just comparing it to the other five guys who've been hired and the two guy, the bunch of guys that are rumors to take the Bengals and the Dolphins job. Uh, this is an A for me. He's, you avoided Mike McCarthy. You avoided Kip, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, who I like, but is you know an unknown compared to Gase. So you, Gase has a better, much better track record than Kingsbury, and that was basically the only other guy who had seemed like was getting serious consideration for this job. Yeah, and then there was Matt Rule from Baylor, who also had very little. That would have been that very little uh, experience or very little. I saw Matt Rule game. I was like, "What?" The Apparently today, the, the, the people they said, offered them jobs. Yeah, Rule didn't take the job because they wouldn't let him hire the staff. Which I'm like, "Yeah, dude, you're a college coach. I'm not. I don't want the wide receiver coach from Baylor coaching the wide receivers. I'm sorry, I, I'm not doing that. So if that's why he didn't take the job. Then I don't care about the spin that the media will spin. The Jets were right to not give him the job. No, I don't want Rule hiring. Uh, you know, the, the Baylor special teams coach. <laughs> My thing about Rule and even Cliff Kingberry, who we'll get to in a second, is why, why, like, if I told you, if 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 I were, uh, you know, Mike McHagan or whatever, and I said, look, we're gonna go and we're gonna get somebody from college, 
Because some of these, all these NFL leagues, I don't know who any of these offensive coordinators are or defense coordinators. They have no experience. So let's look to college. Is Matt Rule the first guy that comes to mind? No, not for, even close. For, you know, good trans, a good coach to transition to the NFL? I mean, he's not that, a bad coach. It seems like the, the, the bar for, like, where guys – like it seems like the it's top Cliff Kingsbury. I understand Cliff Kingsbury with the Pat Mahomes connection and his offensive, theoretical offensive. He did genius. play in the NFL or was in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, played. He was in the NFL. He threw like three passes for the Jets. But like, why? Like, why are we going to to you know Matt Rule before we go to even Dabble Sweeney, for example? I'm telling you, I think it's or we have we gone about to it. those guys and they, we just don't hear about? Yeah, them. I, I give it to Rob before we go to Kingsbury. I think that to me, it's these guys at the top of the food chain in college know that it's a way better job than coaching in the NFL. Yeah, as long as they don't hate as long as they don't hate the recruiting yes, season. Exactly. You're better you're better off staying in college. Uh, Matt Rule, uh, really an up and comer. He's thought of as a program builder. I think he was out of the guys who were realistically could have jumped to the NFL, he probably's, you know, in the top five or ten names along with a guy like Matt Campbell at Iowa Matt State. But you your your David Shaw's and your Dabo Sweeney's I, I just imagine that they're not even taking those calls. I yeah, I think unless... I remember we heard Brian Kelly, we were like, really, who wants Brian Kelly? But, I mean, I'd probably rather have Brian Kelly than Matt Rutro. Right, you know? the guys that are being... Are Cliff and Kingsbury. the Bucks were like, we'll pay Brian Kelly $10 million. Yeah. I'm like, really, to get Brian Kelly? Uh, well, I would not want Brian Kelly. I wouldn't man. want Brian Kelly around my... But I think in terms of like that aspect of guy who's won and stuff... That's cachet. That's where it's coming from, but it's because the guys that would even take an NFL job are these college guys. Chris Peterson. None of those guys take unless you're unless they're coaching the Chiefs or like they, they gotta be coaching a te- and they're the Patriots, like teams that are like so set where it's like, oh, I can just come in and just easily win. If there's any job with any kind of question mark, they're not taking it. <laughs> no rebuild. Why would you do that? You're a top. You got top ten program. You're making eight nine million dollars. Some of these guys. You could you got longevity. You could coach there for ten years. NFL, you could get fired in a year. If you black, you definitely might get fired in a year. Like it would take, why? A, John, it would take a John Gruden contract to, t- to get any of those guys to even pick up the phone. Yeah, and John Gruden power. Which, yeah, Jesus, which is a whole other thing. Mike Mayock saying, "Yeah, you know, I answered to Gruden. You're the GM. We need answers to John Gruden." That's 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 very that's gotta be very encouraging for the the, the Raider fans. Yeah, the, the Las Vegas faithful, the Oakland faithful, wherever they're playing. Yeah, they can't wait to, to see that uh, Mayock-Gruden ticket for the next however many years that lasts. Um, I do want to talk about Kingsbury real quick. Um, this Kingsbury thing is so fascinating. I think this is this is maybe the most fascinating hire I remember since uh, Lane Kiffin with the, with the Raiders, and it's probably because it's actually really similar. Um, the only difference is that Lane Kiffin did, had no head coaching. Yeah. Um, but in terms of age, in terms of like what you think they bring to the table, like Kingsbury would be like the the he's like the he's the Lane Kiffin from twenty two thousand nine, whatever the hell right. uh, that happened. Like for the Cardinals, I, I can kind of I get I get it from some standpoint, Kendall and Rob, but I just think that for me and a lot of people that are trying to make this case for Kingsbury, and I'll repeat everything by saying this could all work out. Because, again, I think that the coaching thing has become completely, like, unpredictable. So I, I think a lot of the stuff we just don't know. I think before we kind of did know to some degree. But the thing that alarms me about Kingsbury is that, like, there just seems to be no – there seems to be no – like, the people who are okay with it seem to have no qualms of the fact that he has not proven he could put together a winning product. 
Right. Which is, like, most important. Like, it's if you told me he was coaching at, I don't know, Syracuse? Like, or, or just someplace that, like, like, I don't know, like, Northwestern? Like, Northwestern. That's a great example. He was coaching at Northwestern, where I'm like, there's no talent in the state. Impossible regulations to get kids into the into the school, like and and then he won, had his record. Like maybe I can understand like his record. He's in Texas. There's a lot of good players there. Nobody in the conference plays defense. He's in a he's in a state where the guy down the down the road at TCU has pretty much the same talent pool and is able to to compete and win the conference. Houston is better than you. Houston has been better than them. Mike Leach was way more successful. Right. We saw Mike Leach do that job and do it at a much higher level. There's been nothing we've seen from Kingsbury. It's just that, that he that's been the excuse. Win that, games. Well, you know, it's hard to win at Texas Tech. But we've seen Lubbock guys win the, the games fifth, there. Fifth, sixth best program in the state. I, I do get all those concerns, but like I said, I think the Mike Leach argument kind of hurts it. I mean, right. Mike Leach is an excellent football coach, but... Then go hire Mike Leach yeah. to run your NFL team. Well, Mike Leach is a crazy person. Yeah. Right, that's why you won't do it. <laughs> what am I saying? Like, like I, I just feel like... And I'm not saying... Look, I'm not saying I want him to win 10 games every year. I, I, I'm, I know I'm being realistic. I think two winning seasons in, like, six years, that's outrageous to then go that high that guy to be an NFL head coach. I mean, the bar has been changed about what is a good coach now in the NFL or who can be a successful coach in the NFL. I think... One for one, I, I look. I love this hire uh, for the Cardinals. I love it for the NFL because I feel like, you know, I remember back in the day. I remember it was like five years ago. I, I I used to have the mindset of like, why why can't you run college offenses in the NFL? I used to ask you the CJ, yeah, and like you used to be like, it does it wouldn't work. You can't you know run the option or you can't do read option in the NFL. You can't throw the ball all the time in the NFL and it worked. And Cliff Kingsbury comes from that. I mean, like... He's an air raid coach. Yeah, he's an air raid coach. I mean, are we going to be running air raid offenses? They were talking about hiring Jake Spavitol as the offense coordinator in Arizona. Jake Spavitol comes from that same, you know, he came from Texas A&M where he goes Johnny Manziel. They all come from that same, like, Dana Holgerson, Kevin Sumlin kind of tree. And, like, I mean, those guys are, like, those guys were shunned by the NFL, like, a decade ago. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Well, because they, we they tried to run. Playing video game well, offense. Well, that stuff comes from the run and shoot. Right. Which was thrown out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, June that's Jones. the June Jones, that, that like, era of football. And, like, they tried it, and, like, it was hot for, like, a second, and then they threw it out. So, you know, right. we can't do that anymore. And it was only a college thing. But I think now people are figuring out, even beyond, like, the system, being able to coach quarterbacks to be explosive and having an explosive passing game is a plus. And so now they're it's looking. A necessity now. You yeah, it's a necessity. It. It's beyond a plus. It's beyond a necessity. And because you're also because you're paying these quarterbacks so much money. Right. Like I can't. If I'm gonna pay my quarterback like a quarter of my salary cap, I need the guy to be as good as possible. So the head coach needs to be a QB guru in, in many cases. So we're going out and we're finding guys not necessarily for the offense they run, but because of their ability to coach quarterbacks. And look, Cliff Kingsbury. I don't know if he's a good head coach. He wasn't a great head coach in college. What I do know is he's produced NFL quarterbacks. I know he can. He knows how to coach quarterbacks, um, whether it be uh, at Houston, whether it be um, at Texas Tech. 
Cliff Kingsbury is a is a NFL and Texas A and M. He was Johnny Manziel's offensive coordinator for the Heisman year. So like these guys all are um, these guys know how to coach quarterbacks, regardless of whether or not they are good head coaches. But even I look at guys now, and we talked about Sean McVay, you know, last week we talked who's a good friend, which is why the Arizona Cardinals hired him. That was in their press release. Yeah. Like, Cliff Kingsbury's friends with Sean McVay. Which, I'm, yeah. Which I'm, I'm a Cardinal like, family. Get that out of here. I, don't, I do not care. I've never seen that before. Like, and it's not even like he's a good friend of Bill Walsh. Or, you know, he's a good right. friend of Vince Lombardi. Or a second-year coach. <laughs> like, Sean McVay, really? Like, Sean McVay hasn't even won a Super Bowl. But, look, a lot of the guys now that have been big, you know, the Doug Petersons, the Andy Reeds, the... Sean McVay's obviously Andy Reid's been around for a long time. They they're hot right now because of what they're doing with quarterbacks, and the Arizona Cardinals are in a situation where they need Josh Rosen. We talked about Josh Rosen earlier to really revive himself from what was a dreadful rookie season, um, and they feel like Cliff Kingsbury is the guy, and I feel like Kingsbury and Rosen is as good a marriage as you can have right now in the NFL, given what both guys need. Kingsbury needs a quarterback he can develop, and Rosen needs a quarter, a coach that can coach him. Steve Wilkes, I love Steve. I don't love Steve Wilkes, but I I didn't think he should have been fired. But he wasn't gonna help develop Josh Rosen. He's a defensive coordinator. Um, he, he I don't know if he knows anything about quarterbacks compared to what Cliff Kingsbury is gonna be able to do. All that stuff being said, nothing that was nothing nothing you said had anything to do with winning. Yeah, can he win? <laughs> We're just at the end but of the is day, anybody gonna win? That's not true. That's not true, EJ. Why? If he gets if, if he gets Rosen to go from a ten point a game quarterback to a twenty four point per game quarterback, that you're winning. Wins. You're winning, no matter even if his defense is as bad as it was at Texas Tech or anything. You're winning. But that's the thing, though, is that are we trying to get the Cardinals to be? Seven and nine every year. Are are there? Is their goal to try to get back to the playoffs eventually? They can't do it in this era, right? Obviously, you can't win whatever they did this year. They had a defensive coach this year, and they won like three games. But I just feel like Kingsbury Rob had a extended amount of time where Texas Tech plateaued and didn't get any better. And so I think it's okay. Yes, let's say he does improve Rosen. Is he just improving him to get to the next coach who can then actually win games? I just I think that you're overthinking this. I think that if he turns Rosen into a top ten quarterback, you're going to win games. That's how it works. The question is: Do you think that uh, Rob? Rob, do you think that Kingsbury can turn Josh Rosen into a top ten quarterback, or do you think it's is it is a chicken or the egg kind of thing? Do you think hiring a guy like Kingsbury that he can save Josh Rosen's career, or is he already done? No, I really like Josh Rosen. I like Josh Rosen this year. I mean, I know he's bad, but the offensive line is bad. The yes. receivers are bad. They couldn't get the ball to David Johnson. That team was such an all-out mess uh, on the offensive <laughs> side of the ball. Like, I've never seen. My my father was complaining. He was, he's a Jet fan. He's like, oh, this Darnold, you know, he's got no receivers. He's got no O-line. What other rookie quarterback has to deal with this? And I'm like, well. Uh, Josh Allen has worse receivers and a worse O-line <laughs> than him, and Josh Rosen has worse receivers and a worse O-line than both of them. So, you know, like, the guys had nothing to go with. And, you know, Kingsbury, I would say he's a very highly thought of offensive mind. I think that he's probably most 
when you're talking about everybody wants their Sean McVay, to me he's that kind of guy. Uh, you don't, you never know how it translates, but he's got a really specific offensive system, and he knows how to run it, and it's been successful for almost almost ten years, hasn't it been? When he was the well, offensive yeah, coordinator I mean, for Houston, I think they averaged over fifty points a yeah, game. Yeah, Case Keenum was was running that system. Yeah, he's like Case Keenum he's had a up crazy. Case Keenum was, yo, he was crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was number. I remember when ridiculous. he was like a seventh round pick. I was like, really? I mean, I know he's like six foot, but I mean, the, his guy was super. And look, Case Keenum, if he came out now, doing what he did in college, would be like a third round pick. Exactly, absolutely, because the game has changed, <laughs> which yeah. is crazy. But I look, I love the way he has all evolving, man. We're, yeah, we're getting K- rid of, like, just got some money stupid, this year you know, oh, Lamar Jackson's too short to play quarterback. You know, we're getting rid of the stereotypes of, like, you know, oh, you know, Kyler Murray, people are saying the top 10 pick if he plays football, he's 5'10". <laughs> 10 years ago, he would be, like, a fifth-round pick maybe. Yeah. I mean, Troy Smith was, like, a similar profile, and we were like, no way this guy's playing the NFL. <laughs> oh, so. Five years ago, Kyler Murray's a corner. <laughs> exactly. People. And five years ago, that wouldn't even have been considered a racist statement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the game the game has, has massively changed. I mean, I, I do I do one thing I do agree with both of you guys, or definitely Kendall, is that I do think this is great for the NFL. Um, this is a franchise that I had no interest. in. I, I didn't watch one. I didn't like follow one Cardinals game. I didn't, all year. Yeah, I, I I've. The only time I watched them was because like they were the West Coast game, the last West Coast game that was on. Right, exactly. The other game well, over, and the Sunday, Sunday night game and happens in a half hour. See like, how well, Josh Rosen's doing. Let's yeah. see what Josh Rosen's doing. See him getting down by seventeen. Play. You're like, Jesus, <laughs> isn't going well. It, it was that bad. So I mean, it's good for the NFL. I think this does, you know, drive interest in a franchise that had zero interest going into next season. Which yeah, and not too long ago, the Arizona Cardinals were a. Uh, um, I mean, I would, they were never a like pillar franchise because they were also a joke, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, it's but, crazy what the, Ari- the Arians and the Bid and like and and Wizard Hunt has done for the for the yeah. They, they for younger people, they you know the Cardinals are were a stable franchise, uh, but older people remember it's like insane. Like what what we think of like oh, I don't know the Browns. the Browns. I guess you would say is what the Cardinals were. The Cardinals and Bengals. Yeah, were. Um, yeah, I, I I would give this higher an A minus because the shot in the dark. I give it a C. Uh, if I gave the Jets an A for Gase, I'll drop this one to a B. I think Gase is just a little bit more, um, more proven, but in the same mold as Cliff Kingsbury. I quickly want to touch on the Browns and the Kitchens hire because I saw this today today and I was like, the only person who could go, would have a winning record. And not get hired as a head coach for the Browns is Greg Williams, uh, was, and and I'd be totally okay with. Yeah, that. I was I was, I, was, I was like celebrating. I was popping. Yeah, I'll, I'll co-sign that one. Like and 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 like there are a lot, there are some people who are very feel like this was not right. He got a raw deal, especially since nah. the offensive coordinator was nah, the guy. No, I, no, sympathy, the guy. no sympathy. Well, Kendall, you're a Vikings fan, so he's still <laughs> saying about Bounty. Bounty. He's still saying How about does he Bounty. even have a job? <laughs> I still don't get this. But we're whatever. <laughs> so he's still upset about Bounty Gate, but look. This guy's not in jail? Greg Greg Williams, he did a great <laughs> job with that defense. Uh, it's a defense that has talent. Um, clearly, like, all they needed was just someone who knew anything about running an NFL organization to, like, just make them decent. <laughs> because, like, because, I mean, if you think about personality-wise, like, it's not like Greg Williams is, like, this crazy step up from Hugh Jackson in terms of, like, 
They're, stability. Right, right. It's not. It's like <laughs> it's it's just like a step to the right. It's just, it's very small. It's a baby step. But like that's all they need. That's how insane things were under Hugh Jackson. So Kitchens, um, once he was out from the, the the shackles of having to deal with Hugh Jackson, showed that he can get Mayfield playing the right way. Um, so I'm fine with the higher and Todd Haley. Uh, and Todd Haley, oh my gosh. The guy yes. was the rain bass coach. Yeah. And he showed up at Colin Place. It's like, oh my God, the Browns, the, the weapons that we thought they had, they do have. Oh, look, Javon uh, Jarvis Landry's back. Jarvis Landry? <laughs> was he hurt? Oh, no, he was there all year. Um, You know, like, so so I'm happy for this dude. Uh, I want to see what he could do. It's crazy that how, what happened to this I'll guy. He's a running back coach now. All of a sudden, he's the head coach. Am I happy for Freddie Kitchens? I'm happy for him. I, I this I I don't know I, I can't be a Browns fan and be happy about this. Well, who did you want? Who are you Look, getting? This is a bad field, so we talked about this. So maybe, you know, this is a situation where you can have like a short leash because like right, exactly. you can have a short like if he like if they win two games next year, you can fire. Yeah, I mean and mid season, mid season if things don't this go. Is well, offensive John Samsula. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Jim Tom Sewer, that, that guy. <laughs> Shout out to Tom Sewer, man. I wonder what he's doing. Yeah, um, he's in. He's he's the D line coach for the Redskins, and he's trying to talk his way out of there. He's, he's done. <laughs> hey, there you go. Well, look, there's a lot of people who try to talk themselves out. Freddie Kitchens. Now, there's your future. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, but like, I don't know how you hire a guy that was a running back coach early in the year, and he ends he ends the year as your head coach. I mean, look, he did an, he did a very good job with OC. Yeah. Uh, with Baker Mayfield, um, clearly they needed and they wanted some continuity, but they didn't want Greg Williams, so they were like, continuity. Well, they fired the whole rest of the staff. The, the defense staff is gone. Yeah. Right. Well, they wanted continuity offense. They wanted continuity. It was very weird how it all went down for Baker Mayfield. They were like, "All right, we can't." I, I don't know. I feel like if you're gonna hire a coach, hire him now. Similar with Sam Darn. Like, look. I know Baker did a good job with Kitchens, or vice versa. Kitchens did a good job with Baker, but if you're gonna move on, like fire all these cats now, get in a new coach, a new offensive coach, whoever it is, Kingsbury, Gase, uh, Matt. Can't McClure. do Kingsbury. Yeah, yeah. Now you can't do these guys, but like, no, I mean, you couldn't do it anyway with Baker Mayfield there. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That would not uh, have worked. Right, exactly. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Um, so, like, my. Point being, though, I feel like you hire this guy now, and I look. I don't feel he's like he's a stopgap. Yeah, I do feel like he's a stopgap, and I feel like he hasn't earned, even though he did do a good I, job. I agree, he did not earn. I feel like he hasn't <laughs> Bro, earned. I'm still happy they were five and four, which look, congratulations. I mean, you're the Cleveland Browns. I mean, five and four as an interim offensive coordinator doesn't scream head coach. I know. I mean, when does that ever happen? Generally, like you'll maybe the interim head coach, you're like, all right, let's give this guy the job. We're gonna give it to the running backs coach. I, I, I one thing I will Screen, say, Cleveland Browns gonna is win three games next year. We talk about what one thing we will say. We have been talking a lot about people trying to copycat the Sean McVay's of the world. Well, the other young coach, not young, but the other new coach that's kind of burst onto the scene in Los Angeles. No, that's burst onto the scene in Los Angeles. That. A lot of people didn't expect was a former running back coach, Anthony Lynn. There you go. Um, and this is a guy who had no play calling experience, and he Rivers is having one of the best years of his career at this age, playing under Lynn. So, are the Browns going on a whole different playbook? We talked about the whole get the young, handsome dude. Are they just like saying, "Oh, look what 
San, looks like the Los Angeles Rams did. I mean, the Chargers, and they, they, they turned out really well. And this guy, we actually got to see him call plays, let alone uh, him, you know, being an OC or being a head coach. Like, with the Chargers, they didn't get to see Lynn, uh, Lynn call plays. Yeah. So they no, I, think, I, I think Lynn called plays for part of his last season under Rex Ryan. But, uh, oh, yeah, you're right. About, yeah, because... No, not calling for it. Not calling Mr. Lynn or Kitchens ugly. I'm just saying that clearly. Said, that clearly, though, when you look at Kingsbury Instead and you look at McVeigh, nice, handsome guy, we went for Lynn and Freddie Kitchens. <laughs> <laughs> kind, of, oh, kind of what you said. Shout out to to Kitchens and Lynn. They're, I'm sure they're they're very handsome <laughs> gentlemen, but for some reason there is an infatuation with the the the, the physical appearance of Cliff Kingsbury and McVeigh that I don't quite understand, but that's cool. Um, but it seems to me that the Browns definitely decided to go in a different direction. They're like, no, we don't have to get these like college, you know, in- influenced or young influenced guys. We could get guys who maybe have shown a little bit in the NFL, but are, you know, shown that they could be a leader of men. That's one thing that that impressed the Chargers with uh, with, with Lynn, and, and I think maybe that's what pressed them in the short time. The Kitchens. What did you make, Rob? Quickly on a, on the Kitchens hire. All right, we'll drop him to a C. It's probably, again, more inspiring than you know, retreading uh, Jim Caldwell or Mike McCarthy. Um, Fair enough. But you know, well, what else are you going to do? It's still probably a hire that's fear of striking out as opposed to a guy you have that you've seen at least a little bit what he could do with what you already have. I, I Honestly, I think the best hire so far has been uh, Vic Fangio in Denver. You know, I think people – you can't win with defense anymore, but um, well, the Broncos had like the fifth best defense in the league. So how much better are they going to get with Vic Fangio? I feel like the the, the continuity, or I mean, it won't be continuity, but the fact that now you can build on what they have clearly a defensive infrastructure yeah. that is high, uh, and they have talent, and and John Elway's best friend is the offensive coordinator. I don't know if I would like. I, I don't know if I would have took that job if I was Fangio. I know he's old. And it was it's probably weird the how, only job I'll ever get offered. But it, it was weird how Kubiak, you know, the Broncos wouldn't let him uh, interview for any jobs. Um, yeah, I know the Florida Gators. Someone sitting somewhere like, Yo, why did we think of this? <laughs> we just let Urban Meyer just pretend he was sick and go to Ohio State. They were like, we didn't have some clause in the contract, but we could have just been like, all right, you sick? All right, just sit on the sidelines for a couple of years while you're still with us. Do something else. And then, and then you know, we'll think about what we let you coach somewhere else. Because I saw that, again, I was like, they could do that, but he's under contract, I guess. Oh, they froze it? I don't know how that worked. but like, uh, Kubiak's been in the front office in, okay. in, since he stopped coaching, so they must still have some sort of rights on him. I think yeah. it's John Elway's best friend. I'm, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. I'm Gene, sure they knew the deal the whole time. I'm sure Gene Smith is definitely paying attention to what's happening in Denver. <laughs> so, <laughs> but whenever Irving makes his next move, uh, Gene Smith will be like, ah, "I've seen, I've seen this play before. I know exactly <laughs> what playbook to go to." Um, let's go through these playoff games real quick, guys. So I'm gonna start with the first game: Colts at Chiefs. Uh, the Colts were, I think, the most impressive team. This weekend, for me, uh, I picked the Texans to win that game last week. I was very wrong. The Colts dominated pretty much from start to finish. I underestimated. I didn't think I was underestimating. I talked about them a lot. But I really underestimated how dominant the, the Colts offensive line is. Um, and they played against, a, a, I think, a very good to maybe great front. And they just moved 
those dudes around like they were playing against a college team. So that's an interesting matchup because they're going against a Chiefs defense that don't, won't nearly present the kind of challenges you would think a Texans defense does. Uh, but it is on the road again. It is in uh, colder conditions, unlike the dome conditions they were playing in uh, in Kansas City. Excuse me, in Texas. And for the Chiefs, uh, we've seen the, the season Pat Mahomes has had. We know what kind of high-powered offense they have. But uh, will they be able to run the ball consistently? Will they be able to stop anyone uh, and, and get that offense back on the field? These are all, I think, very uh, important questions. This is not an easy game. It's tough to be a number one seed and then face a team that's won 10 out of 11 games. But this is the hand that's been dealt to Andy Reid, Kendall. So who do you got? Colts at Chiefs. Um, I'm going to go with the I'm gonna go with the Colts, man. I have the Colts. Go, going one more week with the Colts? Yeah, man. Look, I, I hyped them up last week. They delivered. Um... I feel like they clearly we saw the their ability to win these games in the in the trenches, uh offensively especially, uh and then defensively in the front seven. They're improving their strength. Their whole defense is improving all they've improved all year. Um it's it's gonna be it's it's certainly gonna be challenged by the Kansas City team. Uh they have a young offensive line that'll be certainly be challenged. Uh by this Kansas City front seven, but the way these guys played last week uh, against guys like Watt and Clowney, I- I'm gonna I'm gonna say that they that they step up to this matchup uh, this week against Kansas City. And I'm gonna say Luck uh, Luck gets the biggest win of his career on the road in Arrowhead uh, against this vaunted Kansas City Chiefs team. What about you, Rob? Who you got in this one? Uh, I think that. You might be underestimating the Chiefs' defense in terms of they're very similar to the Texans because the trio of Chris Jones, D. Ford, and Justin Houston is just as scary as Clowney, Watt, and Merciless. But have they played that way, though, all year, you feel, this year, uh, to me? I think I would I would say, no, I mean, the defense for the Chiefs has been bad, but it hasn't been worse than the Texans uh, just in terms of what they could do. I mean... You know, D. Ford had 13 sacks. Justin Houston had nine, even mm-hmm. though he missed a few games. And Chris Jones had 15 and a half from the inside. You know, that's the same. You know, that's that's more than the trio for the Texans yeah. did. I think that they they could give the same amount of trouble as the Texans gave the Colts in the second half. And the offense doesn't stop. I really do like the Colts. Uh, I don't think that the gap between these two teams is. As huge as I think the narrative would say it is, or their seedings would say it is, but I'm going to stick with the Chiefs despite watching Andy Reid blow this game seemingly hmm. ten times in my life. <laughs> yeah, I think this is this is actually a really good test for Andy Reid, and is this the same Andy Reid because um, we've seen him short yard situations, clock management, just over and over again have issues in Philadelphia and in Kansas City. Um, but we've seen a new Andy Reid as soon as Pat Mahomes has gotten onto the scene this year. There's no question about that. So, but who would you take, uh, Andrew Luck or Pat Mahomes, if it was just based on the quarterback for the next decade, or just in this game? In this game, who, who oh, do you think? Who do you think? Who do you think is a better quarterback mm. on Saturday? Mahomes, because I mean, Mahomes had a great season. Mahomes but... is great, but I I trust Luck a little bit more. I, I, I would tend to think that, that, that Luck has probably shown he's got a better track record as, a, as great as 
Mahomes was for 16 games. Luck's been really good for at least 13 or 12 games right now in a yeah, row. Yeah, he's been on top. And, I mean, yeah, Luck I guess my, was... my only thing with Luck is that it, it's not anything really against him. I just think that and maybe it's just, like, the roster that he has. So that kind of doesn't answer the question then. But to me, like, there, I, I, I know I, what Luck's best game is. Like, I know what his best game is. I don't think it's as good as Mahomes' game, best game. I, I can see that. And that's I, why, I, that's why I take Mahomes. Ridiculous. Right. But, like, that, the question was just the quarterback, which is not – that's why I'm kind of cheating yeah. on the question, but that's what I think about when I say, okay, why would I pick Mahomes? I, I think his best game beats Luck. His best game. But I am also – I would also say I'd be more confident in um, in Luck having his best game than Mahomes this week. So it's it's kind of weird. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. This is a. I think this is a great matchup. I can't wait to watch this game. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Chiefs because I feel like the crowd noise. Um, I think the pass rush will have a little more success this week than what we saw uh, last week. Uh, my concern. I know Rob talked about the pass rush, but when I mean, Mac ran all over the the text, that's kind of more what I was referring to when I talked about that front. Are the yeah. Chiefs gonna be able to stop that run? And that's not something they've done at all. Uh, they they got exposed a little bit, I think, against Seattle uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and and this guy Mac, I know what he's talking about. I said it last week. We keep talking about Le'Veon Bell and what what he can do for the Colts, and I'm not saying Mac is Le'Veon Bell at all, but this kid is good, and that's honestly maybe what I'm most concerned about is that line plus Mac running the way he has, keeping the Chiefs' offense off the field. But I think the Chiefs' ability to make big plays with Kelsey with Hill that'll be enough. To, to kind of not allow the, the Colts to keep up offensively. So I got the Chiefs winning at home in a fairly close game. How about Cardinals at Rams, guys? Uh, oh, Cowboys at Rams, I'm sorry. Uh, Cowboys, I, I thought, played a, a decent game against uh, the Seahawks. Um, a, a game that I, they kind of played the game I thought they would play in winning that game. Uh, they weren't spectacular offensively. The defense was was dominant as I thought they probably would be. Um, they were probably a little more dominant against the run. I thought the Seahawks would have a little more success. The Seahawks couldn't run the ball at all. And Shoddy decided to just keep running it instead of giving Russell a chance to try to win the game on his own. But that's Schottenheimer. Very unsurprising yeah. for Jet fans. <laughs> that's, that's Schottenheimer if you've ever known him, which Jet fans, we know him very well. Uh, so so the Cowboys didn't really do anything that surprised me last week. So that's probably why I come into this game not all that excited about their chances against the Rams. I guess the only thing that, for me, the Rams and how they could possibly lose this game would be the status of uh, of Gurley and how healthy he is. I'd not like the way he looked in the last game before he sat out the last few. So uh, I hope that the three weeks he's pretty much had to, to heal is going gonna, is gonna to put him to being closer to 100%. But I got the Rams here. Uh, I think there's just too much offensive firepower. And... Um, and I think the Cowboys' uh, inability to be really be consistent offensively is going to be an issue. You know, I think we play against the Rams. I feel like the teams that have beat them, they besides the Bears, uh, who just just zipped them up. Uh, I, I think that you you have to you have to be consistent offensively. And Dak Prescott, even in the game which I thought he played okay, still wasn't really all that consistent to me. Uh, and that's not going to be enough to beat this Rams team on the road. So I got I got the the, the Rams winning this one. I give this one to Rob. What, what, who are you going here? I'll take the Rams. Uh, I think it's I think it could be pretty close. The Cowboys' defense is real. It is really good. Um, they could do exactly what they did to New Orleans. 
And in that case, you know, even with a conservative offense that I expect them to run, uh, you could pull out a win if the defense is playing at that level. I imagine that that they the defense has a really good showing against the Rams, um, but I really don't have any faith uh, in Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott to put up huge offensive numbers. You know, I think Elliott's a great running back and he'll move the chains, but just the way that offense works, unless they're going to get a couple big plays. I think it'll be tough to to even score 24 points. That's what I was going to ask you. What do you think is the, and I'll ask Kendall also, but real quick, Rob, what's the magic number for the Cowboys in points? And I'll ask the same for the Saints when we get there. I think that, I I think if the Cowboys get to 24 points, they have a chance, but they they really need to get the ball in the end zone three times. Right. What what about you, Kendall? Uh, Who do you got winning this game, and what is that magic number, you think, for the Cowboys to keep up? Mm, well, first, yes, I do have the uh, LA Rams winning this game. Um, a lot of it's going to be on the battle of these backfields. Uh, both obviously very young quarterbacks and running backs uh, with Gurley, Zeke, Goff, and Dak. But uh, is Gurley healthy? Something we're going to have to see because we haven't seen him play uh, in almost a month. Yeah. And the last time we saw him, he didn't look great. He did not look good to me at all. So if, I mean, this time off could be important, but um, if he looks the same that he looked uh, last time, that that's not going to be good for this L.A. Rams team. Um, and golf sneakily has not played well in that last month or two of the season, which also could be a problem for L.A. Uh, so th- this is not going to be a game where I feel like the Rams are going to stop. I mean, they could, but this is not a game where I would not be surprised if the Cowboys – we're the better team on Sunday or Saturday, I guess it was. Um, what I will say is I think that I would say the number, if the Cowboys can get to 28, if they can get to 28, they get, get the number, they ain't getting to 28. I'll just say that. They're not getting to 28. It's be tough. That's what you think the number is, though? Again, it, it really depends on what Goff and, Wentz, what Goff and Gurley are we going to see. We're going to see the guys that we saw last month of the season, then it may only be – you may only need to get to 17 to get to 24. If it's, you know, the guy that we've seen for most of the season, then, I mean, I look, I remember I've seen Minnesota, yeah. you know, on they Thursday on a night great play excellently and still with an excellent defense, no healthy, and couldn't do anything to stop this offense. So it's, it really, it depends, uh, it depends on which golf and, and girly we see, but I'm assuming those guys are going to play well, so I would say the Cowboys would need 28 to score, to win. Um, Patriots, Chargers. Uh, Chargers, after a very weird game in Baltimore, where uh, they, they put together a strategy that it seemed like only the Browns had come up with in terms of playing seven D-backs. One of the great defensive game plans I've ever seen. I would agree. <laughs> it was, it was, I've never seen a team play like their standard defense, but just with seven defensive backs. And you could see how much it bothered Lamar Jackson, and he couldn't figure it out until it was too late. You know, they just did not have a, a, a game plan for it or any kind of adjustment for it. Um, so that game plan, maybe if it's used, it's not going to be because they want to stop the run uh, of Lamar Jackson against Patriots. Though I doubt we will see seven DBs every play like we pretty much had last weekend. Um, it's a weird game because the Chargers are also not flying across the country for against a team that they have a better record than. 
They've played better than pretty much for the whole season. But this is the this is what happens when the Chiefs are in your division. Uh, the Patriots. A lot of people feel like they're very mortal this year. Um, Kendall, what do you make of this game in Foxborough? Yeah, uh, this is interesting because look, the Chargers. They certainly impressed me last week. Um, defensively, look, Lamar Jackson did not play great. I mean, he played awful for most of the game. But, like you mentioned, a lot of it was on what... I think it was more of it was on L.A. than it was on Lamar. You know, I think uh, schematically, you could tell they were ready for what uh, Lamar Jackson wanted to do. And I'm, I'm concerned about this game for New England. Because New England also hasn't, I feel like, hasn't played great uh, to close out the year, um, like the last the last half of the season, and this is going to be a this is going to be a different animal than what they've seen in the AFC East. They ended their season uh, against the Jets. Jets just laid down. Yeah, Jets. That like that was a that was a practice game. Yeah, <laughs> essentially that was a scrimmage. So like the Jets, the guys had their backs packed for you go from, for their vacation. So basically, it's like they haven't played. In all know, and the Rams areas. are dealing with a similar deal when when they played the Cardinals. Like you know, those teams have it's like they haven't played in three weeks. Right. Because those games are those, not those games. Those games like they barely had to prepare. Probably they came in, they won. Whatever preparation they did didn't really matter. They ended up winning the game by however much they won by, and you have a bye week. And now your your first game, like the Rams, I'm a little less worried because the Cowboys, I think, decent team, but like you're not being thrown into like a 12 in team. But the L.A. Chargers are not the type of team that you can just go from the Jets to the <laughs> and not playing for two. Yeah, weeks. it's not playing and then play the Chargers and then play the Chargers. And sometimes teams they sleepwalk, right? You know, in these divisional round games and. You would you would hope that Belichick has his team ready. I'm gonna say that he does have this team ready, but even if he does, I mean, who's to say the Chargers aren't a better team? Um, I'm gonna say that the Patriots win this one. I think it'll be very very close. Um, I think it'll take Brady making some plays late in this game, maybe take a comeback, but uh, this will be a very tight game. I think being in New England will certainly help and give them the advantage. Though. Where are you going with this one, Rob? I think it's tough. Chargers, which is going to be uh, West Coast time, 10 a.m. for them. Again. But yeah. it wasn't but, a problem really last game. Uh, the offense didn't look good. I know that defense is yes, awesome. But um, to me, Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, it should just it just sounds like a nightmare for, for Tom Brady. Uh, I think the Chargers are the better team. I think they're getting four and a half points. I imagine I might have a, a few dollars running on this game for the Chargers. Uh, I think I could easily see this being one of those games where the pass rush just gets to Brady early and often, and he has one of those eye-opening, should we have traded Jimmy Garoppolo games where the Patriots put up 10 points and and lose, maybe not by a tremendous score, you know, 17 to 13, 20 to 10, something like that. Uh, but I would like the Chargers in this game. I'd, I don't care that they're on the road. I'd rather have the better team. And I think the Chargers have just been the better team from week one to week 17. Uh, yeah, I'm going to side with Rob here. I'm going to go with the Chargers. I agree. The Chargers have just flat out been better than the Patriots for the majority of this season. Uh, if they don't, I don't want to take away from the Patriots, but I feel like the Chargers don't win. It'll be more on them. The early start, the long flight, uh, the kind of the, the ghosts of Charger pass kind of coming back. I, I look at these teams. I look at the quarterbacks. I know Brady 
is a different guy usually postseason. But I can't say Brady's better than Rivers right now. I cannot say that. I mean, maybe he is, and maybe there's something I haven't, we're going to see you know, this weekend. But I can't say what I've seen this year that Brady is better than him. I could make a case that Rivers has been better than him. Uh, I know the Chargers can run the ball better. I know their defense is more disruptive. What do the Patriots do better than the Chargers? Nothing. Maybe coach. Uh, coach, maybe? You look at the coaching staff. Okay, that coaching staff, yes. obviously. But besides that, I don't think they cover better. Their secondary is definitely not as good. Their pass who's, definitely isn't who's, as good. Who's done a better coaching job this year? But, yeah, Anthony Lynn's done a, an unbelievable job. Yeah, I'm going to take Belichick. Right, I'm going to take Belichick in a playoff game. But to me, like, I'm okay, I'm giving you coach, even though there's a case to be made for what Lynn has done. I'm not giving you anything else. So, in any other circumstances, if it was, yeah. So, if I'm looking at any other team, if it wasn't the Patriots, I would say this is a clear advantage. And now, of course, it's football. They got to play. Things can go wrong, and maybe the no the the Patriots are the better team that weekend. If I'm going into this game, I can't say the Chargers aren't the better team, and I don't care if they're on the road. I'm gonna take them as well. What about uh? What about the last game of the divisional round series, uh, Eagles at Saints. Pass. <laughs> Yo, Kendall, I, you don't understand how salty Kendall was to see. I never thought I'd see, see Kendall salty to see the Bears eliminated from the playoffs. <laughs> I never thought that was possible. But his hatred for this 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 man's hatred for the Eagles has gotten to a level that I believe is unhealthy. Um, you lost. You didn't get the, you didn't get to the Super Bowl. You okay? I know you live in Philadelphia, but you didn't get to the Super Bowl. I'm a Jeff fan. I've lived with this now. You're a Viking fan. You've never been to the Super Bowl. It's not something you even experienced. Exactly, so, man. So, so, all right, but I'm a Jets fan. When you, who you all, I, all, I, all I've seen is Joe Montana's finger going up to number one. And, and look, it's okay. Joe Namath, I'm sorry. And and that's all I've seen. So it's okay. You can let it go. You guys will have another chance. You don't have to keep. And in the Saints thing, you've been, hold, in the Saints thing, you've been holding for a decade now. So, so I don't know. So, and 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 you got over on them last year. Yeah, I'm not as so, mad as so, the Saints. So, so, so really, now it's more yeah. about the Eagles. You're saying it is more about the Eagles, but I don't like any of these teams. I know. So, so go Rams. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't go, get, go golf. I don't, I don't get. I don't get his his uh, his issues with this game. But I toss it to Rob. Who do you have in this uh, Eagles Saints matchup? Eagles I'm with saying, the upset win in uh, the Bears last week. I might. I might end up going. Oh, and a hundred betting against Nick Foles in my lifetime, but I'm certainly going to try until I get that one win. So I'm going Saints. I, I just to have the Eagles and Nick Foles in the NFC Championship game would just not at all be emblematic of the regular season that we just watched. And I, I just can't. I can't bring myself to even think that it's a possibility. So uh, it's kind of like last year when Atlanta snuck in the playoffs and then beat the Rams, who had a lot of momentum in that you know, wild card game. Right. And I just thought, like, if Atlanta makes the friggin' Super Bowl because they beat, you know, a backup quarterback in Philly, it would just it would be so weird after watching 17 weeks of football to think that the Falcons are one of the 10 best teams, let alone a Super Bowl participant. So great, they're the defending champions. Nick Foles will make me look stupid again. I'm just taking Drew Brees and the Saints who have been the best team in football for the the entire season, with the exception of week one when they lost the Buccaneers. Basically from week two on, I thought they were either the first or second best team in the league. I just got to stick with them. Now, Kendall, I don't know if you've heard uh, 
the the uh, the motivational ploy this week from Sean Payton. But uh, today, oh, apparently, right. Payton came into uh, the locker Is that room. Did Greg Williams come in the locker room? <laughs> no, Greg Williams. <laughs> Take out fools outside ACL. <laughs> there was there was no no Greg Williams was not involved. I know he lost his job today. My Greg Williams was not involved with this. Uh, Sean Payton came into. The locker room. I feel like this is a PR stunt. He was flanked by... <laughs> this is a real motivation. He was flanked by armed guards, apparently, who had the Lombardi Trophy, which I'm not sure why you need the armed guards for that, because, like, isn't it just in the hall? They have won a Super Bowl. Right. But anyway, they came in... <laughs> they feed every with day. The, with, the arm, with, with the armed guards, uh, uh, the Vince Lombardi Trophy, and $250,000, and he told his players, you guys want this? Go win effing three games. Yeah. Uh, that's a legendary story if that's true. There is no video evidence or photo evidence that this happened. Some random lawyer in New Orleans tweeted it out, and we're just saying that this is true. I'm sure the Saints will just say it's true because it's just a great story. Um, but I thought that was a pretty interesting thing. I love these little weird things you hear, like, you know, Pat Riley uh, telling the Heat, you know, only bring, don't bring but one pair of clothes for your game against Dallas because we're not staying there more than one day. Like, those little things, I'm a sucker for that stuff, so I thought this was cool. Yeah, you know, Greg that- Williams saying, you know, Michael Crabtree's soft. Yeah, you know, we'll go up the middle. Anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, so Kendall clearly it's showing that the Saints thing is still there. He's saying it's not there, but obviously it's still it's still, uh, Look, it's still a sore because, spot. Because Greg Williams is not there, I'm going with the Saints in this game. <laughs> if Greg Williams was still in D.C., I, I don't know if I could root for anybody. Man. This would be a tough game. But, yeah, I'm going to root for I'm not rooting for the Saints. Well, I am rooting for the Saints, but I'm also going to pick the Saints. In this game, because uh, look, they're like Rob said, they're a better football team. But any metric, any measure, uh, any analytics stat you want to look at, nothing's going to tell you the, the the Philadelphia Eagles are a better team than New Orleans, especially the Eagles on the road versus the uh, the Saints at home. I mean, everything points to the Saints should win this game, um, but. Uh, I could have told you the same thing last week. I, I I did tell you the same thing last week. The Bears are a better football team. Yeah. Uh, and Mr. Trubisky didn't play nearly as good as he had played uh, in years uh, in weeks past. Um, and look, did people, Trubisky play good in any of the other weeks this season? I, that Minnesota game, that game at uh, last week, I thought he he he. I mean, he torched us. Um, I don't know what happened with our defense. We didn't have Xavier Rhodes, but... Uh, I didn't mean to bring up bad memories. I'm sorry. So I'll go back. <laughs> I know, yeah. But regardless, um, I feel like... Uh, also, people were, were... People have been kind of bashing Chicago's defense, saying, you know, they were overrated. I, I mean, giving up whatever it was, 16, <laughs> 16, points. 16 points. When your offense was doing nothing. I mean, that's like a pitcher... You know, giving up like two runs and saying, "Oh, this guy was overrated pitcher." It's like he got no run support. <laughs> you know, he gave him one run and, and you know five six hits, and we're saying he's uh, he, he's overrated. Regardless, um, yeah, I think this I think the Saints team is a better team. And I think they win on Sunday. Yeah, same people who are bashing the Bears defense probably thought the Grom should not have won uh, the Cy Young, yes. which means they would agree with Kendall because yeah, he's yeah, the I, one I, I'm not who still who stub kept dissing my <laughs> dude, the Grom. Man. Uh, it was like a, it was like the Matt Harvey World Series game. He gave up nothing the whole game, and then right at the end, he gave one up. Yeah, yeah, that's what, pretty much exactly what we saw. It's pretty, pretty good game still. Yeah, as uh, much as it hurts. Um, I, I got the Saints. The last time these two teams played, one of them didn't look like they should even be on the field. Uh, that I, team had Nick Foles on. Yeah, yeah, and then ironically, he didn't play. It was Wentz who was out there. 
And I don't. It wasn't necessarily that I think that Foles now makes gives them a better chance in this game because it really. While the offense was awful, I think went through three picks in that game. I mean, the defense just had no game plan that was anything had any chance of working against the Saints. You see a team twice. Usually, that gives you a great opportunity to uh, to change up your game plan. Uh, Jets fans know it. And this is the anniversary of the game. Just what four or five, six years ago, when Rex and them boys went into Foxborough after being beat forty-five-three a month earlier, and then beat the Patriots. So it's not like we've never seen it before. But I mean, they got walloped in New Orleans when they went down there. I think the Eagles, they have shown that they have the heart of a champion. I don't think they would just lay down, but it's just it's just tough. You got Thomas, you got uh, Kamara, you got Ingram. They're cornerbacks. I mean, uh, the dude Maddox, he was getting beat on double moves. He was getting beat on double moves over and over and over again against Allen Robinson. This guy is going to try to cover Michael Thomas this week. He's like 5'8". It's it's not happening. (laughs) It's just not happening. Uh, The Saints win this one, I think, by at least 10 points. Uh, it's been a good run, Philly, but this is where uh, your run ends. One thing I wanted to add, this goes back way back to the Cliff Kingbury conversation we were having, but um, the A's, well, San Francisco, the San Francisco Chronicle is saying that the A's expect Kyler Murray to enter the draft. Um, okay. That, you know, it's pretty much, they feel like it's a done deal. Everyone's been, been saying at this point, uh, he's probably going to the NFL. And people are pointing out now that Cliff Kingsbury said in October that he would draft Kyler Murray number one if he could. And who has the number one pick in the draft, CJ? The Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I mean, I mean, hey, look, are we looking too much into what Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury said in October as a coach of Texas Tech playing Oklahoma? Or I'm going to say yes. Is that something maybe that was discussed in an interview? We have the number one pick. I'm sure if anybody would know what Kyler Murray's going to do, I'm sure Cliff Kingsbury might have had an idea. And if there was a team that was going to bail on a rookie quarterback of the four teams that drafted one, five five teams that drafted one, this would be the team. Yeah. I don't know what you can even get for Rosen. I'm sure you probably get – you'll get something. I just don't know from who, but – I'm pretty sure the Giants would give you something for him. Yeah, Giants would give you something. One year after missing him. Yeah, definitely. And especially if they can find a way to keep their pick But I feel like the Giants would rather have Haskins. I'll be honest. Less of a stench. Um, I would. I like Rosen better personally. I like. Yeah, you could convince me that, Kendall. But I think they would rather have Haskins, which would probably happen if Arizona. But but again, like I said, what if you can keep your pick though? You can keep your top pick and then also get Rosen, which I think is not that hard. Yeah, and then you can shore up the rest of your team. Right. So now you give Rosen maybe another, or maybe it's probably a defensive pick. But now you got a quarterback, and now you got a top-notch defensive player, maybe. Right. Uh, I don't know. But it, I think you, Kyler to Arizona is just do something you think, that. Is there any credence do you think to this, Rob? I think it's probably less crazy than I would have originally thought. But I, I do believe that Kingsbury is there to work with Rosen. Uh, Kyler Murray could still be the number one overall pick. It just would, I would say it's more than 50% likely if that's the case, it's someone trading up with Arizona rather right. than Arizona taking him. That's pretty unprecedented to bail on a quarterback after a 10th overall pick after one year. Um, especially, I think that there's there's still some momentum for what Rosen did despite his circumstances. Yeah, it's going to be hard to uh, convince that locker room to not get behind another rookie quarterback. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah. There's certain politics involved that just it would seem to not make sense to uh, move on from Rosen. It's just, I mean, you you would think what coach would be the best fit for Kyler Murray in the NFL, and what quarterback may be the best fit for Cliff Kingsbury. I talked about Rosen and Kingsbury being a great marriage, but I mean, Kyler Murray and Kingsbury, uh, they both come from that you know same tree that I was talking about yeah. of the video game air raid offense. Not, not for nothing, when you talk about the politics of the locker room, I kind of get the feeling that Kyler Murray was, will be the type of guy to win over a locker room much faster than Josh Rosen. Yeah, I would agree with that, too. So it's a, it's an interesting thing you brought up, Kendall. Uh, I guess time will tell. I, I think it's unlikely that that's the scenario, but if that was the scenario, then the Arizona Cardinals become very interesting. I think they're already interesting just with Kingsbury. But if that somehow becomes a situation, then they become must-watch, and I would pray that they become hard knocks. I think they might be hard knocks anyway, but that would then definitely be must-see TV. Uh, that's, I think, uh, where we'll, we'll end it here for Rob DeRay's tenure on the show. Uh, Rob, much appreciative for, for stopping by. Definitely make sure you come back and tell the people where they can find you. At Rob DeRay on Twitter. I tweet rarely, but... It is what it is. <laughs> what a what a promo! <laughs> That's a promo right there. That was Paul Heyman if I've ever seen it, if I've ever seen it. Um, thanks again, Rob. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Have a good one, EJ. All right. See you, Kendall. All right, man. It is time now to do our weekly segment: Who is flames? Who is trash? I will begin first. Flames this week, Kendall. Mister James Harden, Mister MVP, Mister Step Back. Uh, whatever, <laughs> step back. whatever other name I guess you want to give him. If, if James Harden Mr. Step Back, uh, is Luka Doncic uh, Mr. Step Back Jr.? Sure, we can give him <laughs> that because Luka Doncic is certainly. Well, you know, Paul Pierce is the grandpa step back. Yeah. He says he, says he, invented, says he invented the move, which is wild. Yeah, but, but only, but not not surprising if you if you if you hear hear you hear anything Paul Pierce says on TV. That'd be like Kyrie Irving saying, "Yeah, I invented the, the God Sham God. Or, I invented the Sham God." <laughs> It'd be like, no. wait, it's named after someone else though. Uh, no, I'm going with James Harden. This dude, if you've been paying attention, he's been on a tear that really has been unprecedented, pretty much. Uh, in the month of January, he's averaging 38 points. At one point, he had scored at least 40 points six games in a row. He's had at least 30 in like what ha- it looks like. I'm looking at his game log. It, it looks like 12 or 13 games. Let me see. Uh, he 50 against Portland. That started it. Or 50 against the Lakers. That started it. And then it was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 for the people who enjoy seeing me count live on air. Uh, 14 straight games were at least 30 points. And what's, I think, been so impressive to me with this James Harden stretch, obviously he had the, the, the incredible game last week against the, the, the Warriors with the game winning three at the end. I think what's been impressive to me with Harden has been the circumstances. We saw the Rockets start to kind of right this ship, and then Chris Paul goes down. And I think we talked about it on the show, if I'm not mistaken. But I kind of I thought that they would probably ride the ship and they would be okay. But I was concerned that they would still be unable to kind of get towards the top of the West. But Harden showed that he can get to another gear, and he's carrying. Uh, you know, it's him, it's Capella, and then it's a lot of unheralded 
role player, undrafted dudes. Um, and, and he's doing something that I'm not sure I thought Harden could do. We know Harden's a great individual scorer. We know he's a great individual talent. But I didn't know he could lift up players the way he has this year. And and he deserves a lot of credit with the way he, how he's played recently. So he's uh, flames for me this week. And for Trash Kendall, I'm going with the Golden State Warriors. That's a pretty interesting take, probably. So you're thinking, why the Golden State Warriors? I'm going with the Golden State Warriors because they're crying about Patrick McCall. Oh, um, good call, EJ. Yeah. So so, so if you've been following the Patrick McCall situation. Go Dan Gilbert. Um, this dude has been basically been held hostage over something that the NBA has to figure out. He's a restricted free agent. Because the money dried up in free agency and because the Warriors threatened to match everything, no team offered them a contract. But because McCaw wasn't going to sign just some like nonsense deal with the Warriors when he knows he's worth an X amount of dollars, he has just been holding out. He's a stalemate. He's a stalemate. So he hasn't played all year. Um, they brought in other guys. McKinney's come in and kind of played the McCaw role. Drafted Jacob Evans. Jacob Evans was drafted. So he's kind of been stuck, and he, has, he hasn't been able to play all year. So, for whatever reason, the Cavs decide, you know what, we'll sign you to a non-guaranteed contract, two years, six million, and the Warriors, surprise, I was a little surprised, I guess not that surprised, because I guess they kind of realized their team was kind of set and they didn't really need him, decided, all right, well, we're not going to match this, have fun in Cleveland. And the Cavs cut him after, like, playing three games. So, the Warriors now are saying, what the heck, like, you can't just sign a guy and then cut him just because, like, you know, we're deciding not to sign him so he can now become an unrestricted free agent. And they're asking the league to investigate. For whatever reason, the league is applying, is, like, is Look, obliging and deciding to the, investigate. Did the Cavs do some shady stuff? Certainly, man. Of course. I mean, they were like, look, we'll get you out of your <laughs> restricted free agency. We'll sign you, cut you, and then, look, you're you're free to go. And it screws over and the he's already signed, I think, with the Raptors, I think, yeah, already. he just signed with the Raptors. For, like, so a one-year non, non-guaranteed Cavs deal. got, like, two games out of Pat McCall. And they screwed the Warriors over. But that's what this was about. But the reason why I say the Warriors... Pat McCall's agent went to... They thought, like, what team would want to screw over the Warriors right. the most? It's like, oh, well, Dan Gilbert. Dan Gilbert, absolutely. <laughs> so Dan Gilbert, Dan Gilbert like, yeah. is petty enough. We know he's petty yeah. enough. So he's like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll help you all out. But what's frustrating to me is that I don't like... But I have no sympathy for it. I have no sympathy for the Warriors. What they did to this dude was foul. They should have just gave him the money that he was... Was 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 worth like we know he's a decent player like he can get paid something and out of to me just like negotiating spite they played this game with this guy's career to the point where he he his career is at stake to me now he's playing on a one year deal less than a million dollars but like the the benefit is that by the time he gets free agency he will be a unrestricted free agent but I just thought like the way they abused the restricted free agent um system was filed. I remember when the Knicks had two restricted free agents in David Lee and, and, and Nate Robinson, and everybody knew they were going for LeBron. So neither of those guys were going to get a long-term contract, even though they played very well. Donnie Walsh could have been a jerk, like the way Bob Myers is being a jerk about this, and he could have just been like, no, I'm not going to give you guys anything because nobody's going to pay you guys because everybody wants to also go get LeBron and these other guys. He said, no, like, after the money dried up, he said, all right, we want you guys back. David Lee, here's $9 million. Nate Robinson, here's $6 million. And those guys played on deals that were too, were, 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 were great towards, towards what they were worth. They were worth that money 
on a, a long-term deal, but they weren't going to get that. And Donnie Walsh gave them that money on a short-term deal so that they can get the free agency the next year. And if Knicks wanted to bring him back, they could. But at the very least, he wasn't going to stiff them and, and do this game that Bob Myers and the Warriors were playing. And now you cry to the league because but, but, they didn't go your way because well, the guy say, got out of his contract? Well, I will no, say, that's do, a trash move. Do you not so feel like trash. it could set a bad precedent for restricted free agency if teams start doing these underhanded deals to get guys out of restricted free agency? No, because, because at the like, end of the day... The, then we're he, even watch. The Knicks, no, because do the right thing. If Chris Dasperlingus says, I don't want to play for the Knicks anymore, you sign some non-guaranteed deal with some other team, well, to be fair, the Warriors had the right to match. So, right, so the Knicks would just match the deal. The Knicks would have just matched it. But, like, what if, like, if there's a future situation where a team's like, this is kind of our, our match limit, but the guy's like, the guy doesn't really have a market, or the guy's like, I don't have a market in restricted free agency, but in unrestricted free agency, I'd have, I have a heck of a market. I just don't want to go back to that place. Like, that sets a bad precedent for a guy just signing some unguaranteed contract, where like, the team's like, well, if we want to keep him now, like... We have to now. We have to pay him, but we have to pay him at this type of salary. That's non guaranteed for this other team. I just think like I like, think this, this team's this team's paying him in, a, in monopoly money because they're not right. gonna they're not gonna sign him. But like we sign him, we're gonna have to actually pay him that contract, I, or we have to cut him. I think the one issue. <laughs> so like, I think the, I think, really. I think this is a uh, weird th- needle being thread because like McCall is like the kind of player that like could sign a non guaranteed deal with the team. Right, like, right, right. I guess it's not gonna be a problem. Like, for, like, ben like what good player is gonna like not. Is not going to get offered a contract, and then when he gets offered, gets offered a non-guaranteed deal to get out. The, it, it'll the problem will will arise if like you're in a situation where like a team, like let's say Marcus Smart for example, he's a restricted free agent this past year with the Celtics. Let's say like th- some random team like the Nets, who's in our division, hates us, they hate us for screwing us over. Let's say they offered Smart max contract, but like none of it's guaranteed. You can't do that, I don't think. Or, like, let's just say, like, for example, like, I don't even know if that's possible, but it's similar to what the Cavs do, where they offer what you call it, like, more money than the Warriors were willing to pay, but, like, it wasn't a guaranteed contract. Let's say they did that with Smart, and the Celtics like, well, are we going to pay Smart a max contract? And then now that we don't match it, and then that's where, like, well, we don't want to pay him a max contract either. We just want, we're going to cut him. Now Smart's unrestricted, and now the Celtics are screwed. But I guess the issue is that, like, you, the Nets wouldn't be in a position to, like, Again, it's kind of a weird. You gotta have cap space, like because I think there's only a certain amount you can give a non-guaranteed contract. I, so I mean, smart is you'd think like he's, he's not gonna be offered 15 million non-guaranteed. I don't know if that's right, even right. possible. I don't know if that's a thing, but I'm just saying like that's. And also, the, why wouldn't the Celtics match if it's because, non-guaranteed? You could just cut them if it's not. But then, out. like, why? But you're still screwed because now smart isn't on your team, and that's a lot. <laughs> he wasn't gonna be on your team anyway if you did so, if you let him walk. But the point is, you the point of restricted free agency is you want to keep the guy, or you want to keep him from leaving. You have the rights to to bring him back, right? And you still have and those if, rights. If you end up having to either either you have to pay him more than you want to pay him. I mean, to me, if you don't like this, then you shouldn't like poison pills in contracts. Like, and this, this is isn't the a, only thing that can get guys extra, away. This is an extra poison pill that the 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 league is like guys are now like negotiating poison pills that don't even look, help. Should the it le- doesn't even help the team that look, is signing. They look, just do should, it just to screw the look, other should franchise. The, should the league put in the thing where, like, a restricted free agent, if he signs a place, has can't be cut for 30 days, just like this trade thing where you sign a guy, you can't right, trade exactly. a guy for 715. I would be fine with that. They also should put in place where if you do not sign a guy that's your restricted free agent by the time the season starts, he's unrestricted. That's dangerous also. Why is that dangerous? 
that's very dangerous. Because then you're going to have dudes. Then you will have, like, no, but Chris Stapp Porzingis saying. No, you can't hold a guy hostage because you're not offering him a contract. But they're not offering these guys contracts. So if Ben Simmons is like, I want to go to L.A., he's just going to be like, I'll just hold out until, uh, until the season starts. And right. then that's the problem. You know, like, you got to, like. But who's going to have a max max money in cap room? I'll save it. <laughs> Rich Paul will tell me how much time we do when the season starts. I'll save that cap. I just, I just think that they has to, the league has to do something with the, holding these guys hostage. What the Warriors did was not cool in any way. I agree. And but what, so the, I what no the Cavs did do wasn't cool either. I just have no problem with it because I hate the Warriors. <laughs> so, like, good for them. Good for Dan Gilbert. Who is your Flames and Trash this week? Uh, Flames this week, EJ, is Ryan Saunders. Who is Ryan Saunders? Ryan Saunders is the son of Flip Saunders. He's the okay. interim head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Got his first win. Oh, yeah. I did uh, see that locker room scene. That was 32 dope. years old. You know, the, I mean, they. I haven't seen Andrew Wiggins that excited for anything <laughs> ever in my life. So, uh, you know, good for good for the that team. Um, more so, though, I think the Tom Thibodeau firing was also Flames. Uh, I, I'm not sure how I feel about firing after a win. I don't know uh, an it, impressive win. Yeah, nice win. You know, it, it seems I mean, that sets a bad precedent. But I think they were just like, "Yo, we're not doing this thing where you win some games." Yeah, exactly. We gotta keep you. You know, it's gonna be they, they were it was keeping, a slippery slope. Like he's like Glenn Tails. I'm keeping the same energy even when you win it. Yeah, basically. I don't like you. Get out. Um, they 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 said that they're not doing the whole coach GM thing. Um, no one should ever do that. Yeah, just call it, like that does not work. It seems like that's going away now. I hope it. I thought it was a way before they did it with Thibodeau. No one should ever get that power. When has that ever worked? Don Nelson with the Mavericks. I mean, I mean, Pop did it. But Pop's infra, but the Spurs infra. It's he did it, but it's almost like he didn't do it. Yeah, he's like he doesn't really. Buford was like so advanced, right? And the like, like he was he was doing everything. Yeah, right. Pop had a title. Yeah, and he he had over say in terms like overall deals, right? But like. Buford, as we now know, was like a genius. So like that like doesn't even count exactly. to me. Um I think it can only work in situations where guys have tenure. Um I think you do it like like let's say Brad let's say Danny Ainge retires. I mean when Danny Ainge retires, Mike Zarin's gonna be a GM. But in theory, like we made Brad Stevens the guy. I still don't think it's a good idea. Like the do things I mean, Danny Ainge is such a good GM that like Things will certainly change if you move from Dan- Brad Stevens to Danny Ainge. But, like, if, like, so someone mentioned, if Eric Spolster becomes the guy when Pat Riley moves on. I still don't think it's a good idea. Like, do things really change that much? Yes. Because the way a coach views players and the way he, there's a different dynamic with being in the locker room with a bunch of guys. I agree. And, and, and that there's something about being detached and just watching the team objectively and knowing what you need to do to get improved that. A coach just can't do. Yeah, it's just not. It's not gonna be the same. I'm not saying they can't be successful, but it's just there's no way they could do it completely objectively. Whereas someone who's watching, who's not inside that locker, who's not traveling with this team, Rivers not wanting to trade his son. Right, and that was extreme, an extreme level. <laughs> but like, you can't. There's no way you could do that and be the head coach, or even it's just not possible, or even the head coach like trading like all of his draft picks because he wants to win. Right, now. he wants to save his job. Like, so I, like no, <laughs> like no, like foresight. Right, like you need someone who is detached from the coaching aspect to be 
calling the shots on who's on the team. I'm not saying the guy, the coach didn't have a lot of say. I think some of these coaches don't have enough. And then we wonder why the player-coach relationships on these teams are just disastrous. Yeah, the coach don't want Because the GM just isn't even paying attention to what the coach would want. But the coach should never be running things. That is a terrible idea. But I'm happy for, for Saunders as well. That scene in the locker room was great. Um, so it was, it was dope that they uh, that, that he got his first win. I'm, I'm, I don't know if he'll keep the job, but it, it's cool considering his dad was, by almost every account, the nicest dude ever. And rest in peace, uh, Flip Saunders. I'm sure he was smiling down seeing his son get a W. So uh, who's trash this week? Uh, trash is uh, Casey Wasserman, EJ. Another person. Who is this? Casey, <laughs> Two people. I don't know who they Casey are. Casey Wasserman is an NBA super agent, uh, head of Wasserman, uh, the Wasserman Group. Okay, so are you burning bridges in this uh, segment here? No, <laughs> okay. Casey Wasserman. Uh, I know that's your. Dude, uh, hopefully, hopefully that's Casey Wasserman is not listening. Um, no, uh, Casey Wasserman is great at his job uh, as an agent. Um, you know, he's done great things for the Wasserman Group. They're uh, I believe the number one uh, agency in terms of uh, contracts. So I think he, he might be the number one agent in the, in the league right now. Um, but what he's not good at is uh, being a big-time college ba- uh, basketball booster, college sports booster, because uh, at UCLA, you know, he hired Chip Kelly. You know, that hasn't, hasn't worked out so far. And uh, it looks like, apparently, according to reports, he wants Rick Pitino oh, Jesus. to be the coach at UCLA. So... Uh, for that reason, Casey Waxman is trash. Um, he, he, he reps, uh, Fred Hoiberg, but clearly he must have known that Fred Hoiberg, uh, was in line to get the Minnesota Timberwolves job because that name was not brought up, uh, and Tom Thibodeau had yet to been fired at that time. So, uh, he's eyed, uh, Rick Pitino as the guy for that UCLA job, which is, look, I, look, I'm for one, I'm a guy that's saying Rick Pitino, like, should be allowed to coach, but... The fact that we're already saying he's like in line to get one of the ten best jobs in college basketball. I mean, look, he's a great coach. How do you get a better job than the job you had? Uh, really, man. Like he got How fired from his last job. He's, gonna, he's going to Greece for a year, and now he's going to get a better job. To me, this is that's Lane like, Kiffin esque. You know, I think anybody who covers college sports, including us, we try to be careful with what we say about the inner workings of these college programs i'm a, I, I and i'm just gonna Look, stay man, the fbi i'm gonna stay and i'm gonna stay the fbi was like these guys are crooks i'm not and i'm gonna stay here paying guys but what what i will say is to me and this is just from my optic standpoint that does not mean what they're doing is what i'm saying this is true but from an optic standpoint it looks like ucla is back in the cheating game once the Jim Harrick thing went down, they seem to be away from it. It's no, it's not an accident that they haven't won a championship since. This to me, and then maybe you could, and I don't know what happened with Holland, but Holland did a great job. But eventually, they turned around recruiting great there too, and then they started getting great players, and they got to the Final Four. But clearly, they the guy and the guy they were getting under Jim Harrick, they have not gotten. And I see a Patino hire with what has happened with him. This tells me they're in whatever game that is. They're trying to win. They're, they're in it. They're deciding that this way they've been doing it is not getting it done, and it's by any means necessary moving forward. I mean, and think look, about if you're talking about recruiting and you're talking about X's and O's, I have no issues with Rick Pitino. 
I don't want Rick Pitino around 20-year-olds anymore. <laughs> I just don't. He, like, I'm sorry. This dude, he had a head, he had an assistant coach running a prostitution ring with players and recruits. Like, he didn't know about it. I'm just, I just can't, like. <laughs> he I can't, didn't know about it. Kendall. He I, was shocked. I can't, that, that, to me, that cannot be, if that's true, that's, that's not <laughs> that, helpful. That's worse. That's not helpful. He's so detached that he doesn't know that his recruits are coming on campus and then hooking up with prostitutes. Like, he had criminal behavior happening within his coaching staff. Either he knew about it and condoned it or didn't know about it. Either way, that's not someone I need around 18, 19-year-olds. I don't care how great a coach they are. And I think Rick Pitino is a great coach. I've sung his praise on the show over and over again. Trying to say that, look, I understand the off-the-field stuff, but he's great in-game. So, I don't – it doesn't – bring me joy to, to kill Patino like this. But if you're at UCLA and that's where you're going, to me, you're in a specific situation where you're like, all right, how we've been doing it isn't working. We need to try a different way. And I hope Rapatino can maybe run a clean program. I hope that he can get away from the demons that have have attached, been attached to his program recently. But from an optic standpoint, that's what that looks like to me. So, I don't know. Kendall? Let's get out of here with Kendall's court. Where, where are we where are we leaving here? Uh, I'm going to Bleach Report, EJ, uh, NBA writer Rick Buecher, vet in the industry, uh, wrote a good article uh, this week. Uh, actually, came out today about uh, the politics uh, and unwritten rules of um, NBA sneaker culture. Uh, you may ask, what does that even mean, or what was this about? Well, uh, essentially. One of the main things he was writing about in the article was the idea of we know how a lot of guys in these in the league have signature not a lot of guys there's actually a select few but the star players in the league a lot of them have their own signature shoe you know LeBron has his own shoe with Nike as is Kyrie Paul George Durant I believe that's it uh, and then Giannis will have one next year mm-hmm. Adidas has Harden Does Paul George have one too Yeah I said PG Okay yeah. uh, Harden Dame uh, I think that's it and then Steph Curry's got one under him and, you know, guys have, you know, their third party, whatever, <laughs> not third party, but, you know, the Chinese brands or whatever. Uh, Delhi's got his own shoes, so don't wear the Delhi's. But regardless, uh, and it talks about how uh, guys like Draymond Green, for example, does not let anyone on the Warriors wear the opponent's shoe when they're playing against. So, like, he saw a pair of Hardens on, in Kevon Looney's locker room when they were playing the Rockets. And he told the equipment manager, take those out of Looney's. Uh, well, he saw a pair of Adidas sneakers and said, take those out of Looney's uh, locker. He ain't so you can't do that. Man. And Looney, went, he, he was like, yo, where are my kicks? And the equipment manager, like Draymond said, you can't wear them. He's like, those aren't even Hardens. Those are just, those are just Adidas. <laughs> He's like, yo, I'm, 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 I'm contracted to wear Adidas sneakers or whatever. And Jordan Bell actually has, he, he can only wear Paul, he can only wear PGs because... He broke his foot in college, and, like, he feels like, you know, those are the only shoes that, you know, he, he's very picky about the type of shoe he can wear. But, like, and so Draymond's, like, been a little less, you know, stringent on that. But, like, the article just talks about how that, that has gone around in a lot of locker rooms. Danny Green talked about how, you know, he used to wear, like, LeBron's, like, all the time. And then he played against LeBron in, in the finals, and LeBron beat them while he was wearing the LeBron's. And he was, like, the LeBron soldiers, he was, like, 
I, got, I can't wear these yeah, anymore, you, you know. <laughs> it's a she, bad sign. He, he should have known already. That's a bad omen to wear in yeah. the opponent's Draymond, And Draymond had a quote in the article. He was like, my 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 mindset is like, if you if you guard the guy, then he already got you dominated. He's already dominated you. You wearing his shoe. He's not wrong. He's like, Looney, he said, Looney's a guy that's going to be switched on Harden a lot. When we play against him, he already got you beat if you're wearing his sneakers. I'm like, hey, I mean... Very interesting article. But then we wonder why Draymond's like out of control in the court if he's d- t- dictating who's wearing. Yeah, what dictating sneakers. guys. Shoe. You don't think Kevin Durant? <laughs> he's probably telling Durant, "Don't wear your own shoe." <laughs> like he's probably thinking crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting article. Uh, they also talked about Draymond. He stopped wearing player. He used to wear LeBron's a lot, uh, but he stopped wearing signature shoes for Nike because uh, he feels he has a better chance of getting his own shoe. If he wears just hyper dunks or just generic team Nike. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I've been surprised watching the NBA how many guys wear other guys' shoes. Now they're the best shoes. I mean, th- yeah. Now I'll yeah. If you someone, you're, wear just you're a sneakerhead. Generic, <laughs> right. generic kick. They're the best shoes and they're the best looking shoes. And right. like now, I mean, they've even gotten more liberal with the colors. Yeah. Uh, they've always been, like, you've always been able to get pretty much whatever colors you want. But now, like, you could get any colors yeah, you want any shoe. of any shoe, pretty much. That includes LeBron. That includes Kyrie's. Pretty much any of them. So, it's like, the best shoes, they look great. They feel great. Yeah. Who cares what the name is on it? But, like, I just, again, I grew up in a time where, like, we didn't see that. Like, Do you feel like there are more? I didn't see guys wearing Irish Do you feel like there are more signature shoes now than they were back then? Probably a little bit more, but it's not I mean, that had much. Penny had his own shoe. Obviously, Jordan. I mean, like, <laughs> so, like, to me, was. like, you had, like, in LeBron's rookie year, you would have LeBron, Iverson, Jordan still. Um, Kobe had his Kobe, own shoes with Adidas. Well, Kobe didn't have – well, no, I'm thinking about 04. Well, yeah, if you're talking LeBron. Kobe didn't year. have a signature shoe yet. Um, but T-Mac had a shoe. I'm not sure if KG had one. I don't think he did with Adidas. I think he, him and Tim just wore, like, there was an Adidas shoe that they were, like, right. attached yeah, to, but yeah. it wasn't their shoe. Yeah. Um. So it's probably a little bit more. Like, usually it was, usually the number is around, like, three or four guys. I guess now it's probably, like, around six. Right? In the entire league? And right now in the league. It's probably around eight or nine. Really? So you got LeBron, Kyrie, PG, Steph, Harden, um, Dame. Dame. And who else? How many is that? The eight? Yeah, I think so. And then Giannis is going to have his own shoe. He doesn't have one now. Yeah, so it's it's a little, it's definitely a little more. Um, but it's Kobe, the, I mean, I, I still. I mean, right, people still wear Kobe's. But um, but yeah, it's, it was a, it's, it's been surprising to me this this era. Because like, that wasn't something that was happening. And also, your CP's got his own shoe. CP3 has his own shoe. Melo had his he own shoe. Yeah, he stopped making the Melo. Yeah. But now he's just wearing the generic. Um, so, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it is interesting. I think that... Oh, Russ has his own shoe now. Yes, he does. Jordan Brand. So, why not? Yes, that is true. Um, yeah, it's interesting. But uh, and Wade had his own shoe converse. So, it... It's it's more, but it's not that much more. But yeah, it's just weird to me that like I don't I, count like the I don't count the Chinese brands. Either. Right? Yeah, I'm not yeah. counting them either. <laughs> but I'm sure back they were Chinese brands back then, but but I don't know who had who what. Um, Lil Trusty had a, his own shoe. <laughs> he had the he had the, the spinner rims on his shoe, which is maybe the worst design for a sneaker <laughs> I've ever seen. Like rims on a sneaker. Yeah, that's like 
that's like the most hood thing. Like whenever I had a teammate that had them sneakers on, I was just like, "You're probably the worst." <laughs> them and the Marberries, Dude, yeah, the and I was never, and I was never wrong. Every time it was like, "Oh god, <laughs> this kid's gonna be the worst." And they were. That's that's probably now like the kids in high school. You see some guy pulling up in the ZO twos. They're like, "Oh man, the, the big baller." Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that that kid is the worst. I guarantee. They're like, "Oh man, I, <laughs> I gotta play with this kid." Yeah, that's that's a dude that comes up, comes to the park with the arm sleeve and the head, and the headband, <laughs> and, the and the Kobe sleeve, jersey, the arm sleeve and the headband, and the jersey combination. That's like the worst. That guy, you never pick that guy in a pickup game. You got that trifecta. You pick you you wearing a real jersey, arm sleeve, and a headband. No, fam. That, nah, I, I'll pick the I'll pick the I'll pick the uh, the old the sixty year old dude trying trying to get trying to get some exercise over that guy. Uh, I think that's the place to wrap the show. So thank you so much to Rob Ray for joining us. Thank you guys for listening. Of course, you can check out all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. You can also follow, uh, find our stuff on YouTube, New Generation Media, where we'll be having a lot of new content on there shortly. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram at New Generation Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at New Generation Pod. We're on Facebook, New Generation Media. Follow me on Twitter at EJ underscore Stewart and on Instagram at ActionEJ. That does it for now. We'll be back next week with more sports talk. It'll be championship week, so that's always very exciting. Um, and we'll see whatever whatever else brings uh, the sports week brings us. So, for Kendall, uh, this is your last show here in studio for sports. So, uh, yep. next time we'll be talking to you, it'll be Philly. So, um, that should be fun. Hopefully, have a good time back uh, at school. Thank you guys again for listening. I'm EJP.